Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of the Cooking Chronicles podcast. On today's episode, I was joined by Sabre intern and Red Sox expert Jordan Leandre to preview what's to come in the AL East this season. Uh, this podcast will be the first in a series of episodes just dedicated to looking ahead to the upcoming MLE season um, to sort of preview all the teams, uh, one division, one division, not one division, one division at a time. Uh, the next preview we'll be doing uh, will be for the NL East, and then I believe we'll go AL, NL, all, all the way up to, um, I believe, the NL West as the final division that we'll preview. So I'm looking forward to doing all those podcasts, but um, until then, I'm just really looking forward to seeing what, uh, what the series is going to turn out to be. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jordan. Now hopping on to the podcast to start our long series of divisional previews ahead of the upcoming MLB season is Jordan Leandre. Um, what's up, Jordan? Nothing much, man. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about uh, the American League East with you today. Um, I think we're going to start with the series with the American League East and then work our way all the way to the, I believe, the NL West. So it's going to be really fun. Um, yeah, but the NL, AL East, really fun division. I'd say there's four teams that could potentially make the playoffs, um, depending on your thoughts on the Red Sox. <laughs> um, and yeah, like I guess just before we start um, at the bottom and work our way up, uh, what are your overall thoughts with this division? Um, well, I think <clears throat> Fangraphs basically put it best. Sorry, my <clears throat> there we go. Fangraphs put it best um, when they had the Orioles at zero point zero percent chance of making the playoffs. They're definitely the worst team in the division. Uh, I believe their best, like their biggest moves this offseason were bringing in Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey on minor league deals, and they also have Freddie Galvis. They're, I mean. But other than that, the other four teams, it should be very exciting. Um, it's nice that there's a very competitive American League East. It's not just the Red Sox and the Yankees or really the Yankees and another team kind of vying for that for that crown. So it'll be nice to watch uh, competitive baseball. You get, was it, 19 matchups between each team. So it'll be it'll be a fun, fun season for the American League East. Mm. Yeah, I pretty much agree. Um I'm curious between the race between the Rays and Blue Jays for that second spot. I think that's probably going to be, if we disagree, the most heated disagreement because I think the Yankees are pretty much the favorites right now to win the division. I know it didn't happen last year, um, but I think the Rays definitely did take a step back. And, you know, I, and again, we'll see. And a lot of this also depends on how much the Red Sox are going to shake up, uh, I guess, just the rest of what this division is going to look like. So, you know, let's get into it right now. Um, so in order to build, you know, some of the suspense in the podcast, you know, podcasting, you have to build some suspense a little bit, right? Uh, mm. We're going to start at the bottom. Uh, unfortunately for me, that bottom is the Baltimore Orioles. They are, in my opinion, in last place. I would be surprised if anyone else said otherwise, uh, believed otherwise. Uh, last year, they went 25 and 35 and actually did not finish in last place. They were 13th in the league, way runs created plus. They were 29th in defensive war as a team and 20th in FIP. Um, how they were only 20th in FIP is actually pretty impressive, um, <laughs> given that's given their roster. But uh, yeah, let's talk about this team a little bit. Um, they lost Renato Nunez. 
Jose Iglesias, Alex, Cla- Alex Cobb, Hanser Alberto, and Asher Wojciechowski. And they added Jemai Jones, Freddie Galvis, and Trey Mancini, who I counted because he missed all of last season. So really like when you talk, when you think about the Orioles, where do you start really? I guess. I mean, I think the only storyline really regarding the Orioles is how Trey Mancini is going to look missing all of last season with his battle of cancer. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he does, where they're going to put him because the big talk around him for like a few years was, you know, he's a good hitter, but where on earth are you can play him? Like, is he your first baseman? Is he a right fielder? Is he going to be your DH? Um, I'm interested to see where they'll put him if he's going to be, cause he could be one of the most attractive pieces at the deadline uh, to move. So um, and that, and will some of these like prized prospects come up and, and, you know, make an impact at the major league level. I know they were really quick with Matt Wieters about a decade ago. I don't know if they'll do the same with Adley Rutschman, but you know, it's possibly top five prospect. Maybe it'll give him a little bit of a look at the end of the year, but you know, there's really not a lot to talk about with the Orioles. I have them pegged at like 65 to 67 wins. Um, I think they'll be okay. Like it, it, okay by their standards considering they've been, terrible since 2018 so but they'll be okay do you remember at the beginning of last year when they got off to that like weirdly hot start and they were i think they were even like a at or even above 500 and yeah yeah they did the way point of last year was just really strange their offense was like weirdly good and (laughs) yeah they're 2000 they're 2020 like it started similarly to like the 2019 mariners i mean the mariners were a special kind of hot to start that year but like it was just like out of nowhere they were balling out they were hitting home runs their pitching was not great but it was still it was good enough and they were winning some games early and everyone was kind of confused i think the tigers were kind of in a similar boat too early on if i'm if my if i recall correctly i might be confusing 2018 but yeah it, it was weird but there I, I don't envision them getting off to a similarly hot start they've definitely gotten worse on their roster and i think they'll be better as the season wears on whereas last year they were good and then they really kind of tanked. Yeah. And if the, if the season were longer, they would have ended up with 60 wins and another last place finish. Um, the process for them is going a little extra slow in terms of their rebuild because of uh, really, really just because of the fact that they didn't have a much of a major league. They didn't have any major league pieces to trade away that they could bring in prospects to revitalize them right away. Instead, they had to wait through just their own picks in order to get, you know, great young prospects. And that's why Adley Rushman and Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall and guys, and even Heston Kirstad are still at least two years away from making a major league impact. Rushman might be quicker, like, as you said, um, because of, you know, there's a little bit of a track record in the fact they brought up weeders really quickly, but I don't totally see it doesn't seem like this management, it, it just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know everything about Orioles management, but it doesn't seem like since Duquette has left that it doesn't seem like they're inclined to rush up prospects. It seems like they're just taking it really slow. They're like, they're okay with being the worst team in the league for five years. Yeah. You know? I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me either way. I mean, I'm probably more so leaning with you where I don't think they'll, that he'll get called up, but you know, that's one of the questions surrounding the team is like, okay, so they're going to be unwatchable for the vast majority of the season. Do they give, you know, a young prospect, like maybe not necessarily Rutschman, but, you know, somebody in their, you know, their top five gets a look at the major league level just to kind of give their fans a reason to watch and something to look forward to potentially for the, for the next few years. Mm. 
and and it kind of shows like they have like the names that I mentioned, all of them are pretty promising guys, especially um, Rushman, of course, he's already a top 10 prospect. Uh, but Keith Law in their, in his team prospect rankings only had them 18th in in the majors, which isn't great considering how bad they are. Mm -hmm. But again, it takes a while for, to, to build up your system when you don't have any major league pieces in place to trade in order to get decent prospects. Right. Except for maybe Mancini now. Um, but again, Mancini next year is his last year of control. Mm -hmm. So his value even has been deterred a little bit. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the major league team a little bit here. Uh, it's just a really tough beat right now. <laughs> right, right now. Fangraphs has uh, the starting lineup as this uh, in center field, Austin Hayes and um, left field, DJ Stewart, right field, Anthony Santander, who's a blast of a baseball player. Um, Trey, Man Trey Mancini at the DH spot. Chance Cisco at catcher. Um, it's not great. And then Ryan Mountcastle, who I think is one of two interesting guys in this lineup. Then it's Freddie Galvis, Rio Ruiz, and Yomer Sanchez. Yes, they picked up Yomer Sanchez. Um, I, I guess outside of Mancini, who who kind of, I don't know, interests you? Not even like jumps out, but just like interests you. I mean, the, the, one, the one guy you mentioned as, you know, possibly another storyline is Ryan Mountcastle. I mean, last year he played uh, relatively well. I, I know he got some, some love for uh, AL rookie of the year um, last season and, you know, his power wasn't great. I mean, the five home runs, you, he had 25 in 2019 at the AAA level, only five in 2020 at the MLB level, but 141 WRC plus he had right around one win above replacement in 35 games. So he kind of flashed and limited in limited exposure at the end at the MLB level. So he's probably the one other guy in that lineup that I'm really interested in because a lot of them, you know, I mean, I also like Austin Hayes a little bit, but uh, he doesn't necessarily do it for me that much. And then like Freddie Galvis, that's kind of the guy you pick up and you're like, hopefully somebody needs a shortstop at the deadline that can field. Like that's basically why you bring in a guy like Galvis that. And so that way there's somebody there to stop the ball from rolling. Um, but <laughs> the ball from rolling. <laughs> but really, it really it's Mountcastle, Mancini, because I'm really interested to see how he responds from or how he comes back from his battle with cancer. And then obviously, um, Austin Hayes, I think is is a decent player. I mean, he's not like the type of uh, the type of young guy that you build around. I know he's had a lot of injuries throughout his career, uh, throughout his brief career. But he was really good in 2019, a short spurt. Not not as good last year offensively. But, you know, maybe maybe kind of put a little bit of a get some answers to some of the questions about whether or not he's a, a guy to have around for a little bit. I feel like defensively, at the very least, he kind of feels like, oh, nice fourth outfielder potential right now. Um, it doesn't seem like the bat carries, even though, again, like you said, like the the uh, the time we've seen him in the majors has been really short. He's barely played over 50 games, for example. Um, but I mean, last year, 279, 328, 393 splits, um, slugging was a his slugging percentage was 393 last year. That's really bad. Um, right. but you know, he, he's okay. He's fine. Like he's kind of interesting and, and he's a good defender too. Um, his, his defensive war last year was quite good. Uh, him and Mount castle are kind of fun. Like DJ Stewart has some power. I guess yeah, isn't that the dude it, who took it, the fly ball off the face a couple of years ago? Like, I think yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. 
And then Santander is a blast. Yeah, a lot of I home runs. Santander. I forgot about him. Yeah. You know, um, oh, at a 132 weight runs created plus last season. And that on that strange Orioles team that hit, but a lot of those guys from that team from last year are gone. Like Iglesias, who had the, who had the best hitting season of his whole career hit 370 with no power. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a freak accident of a season. Um, but now they're stuck with chance Cisco hitting fifth. So I, I, I think their uh, a little time in the sun offensively has come, has come to an end. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. And I, I was really surprised. I know that Mount Castle, you know, played well. Mancini's coming back, but like I said, he's kind of he doesn't really have a position. They're not gonna. I mean, is Chris Davis like really even gonna play in twenty twenty one? Like I know he's making a lot of money, but like at this point, like why even put him out there? Like you're, it's almost like you're embarrassing him. It's like public humiliation. You're like, you're like you're the one who gave him the contract. Why you gotta humiliate him? Like it looks worse on your part. Um, and then they they didn't tender Ronaldo Nunez a contract and let him go to you know, Detroit for a mile deal. I thought that was a no brainer to bring him back, but you know, maybe not. I don't know. They're I guess if you team. want to be worse, they did a good job. You they know? did. They, like, they definitely did a good job. Let him go for nothing. That was a great idea. <laughs> That's how you bought him out. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, they have a plan at least they have yeah. a direction. Like I, I like, I, in, in a weird way, I like their spot, the spot that they're in more than like Texas. And I, I have no idea what like a team like Texas is doing. I, I just don't understand what is happening over there. They love giving their For fans example. like a, they love giving their fans like a reason to believe they'll be okay every year. And then they're just like 75 wins. You know, they're like, they're like decent for the first half, like in 2019 with Lance Lynn and Mike Meyer were like both all-star caliber pitchers and they trade neither of them. And then mm. they kind of stunk the second half and, you know, there goes that. Yeah. You know, Chance Cisco last year actually had a 14% walk rate and a 364 on base percentage that led to 113 weighted runs grade plus, which is kind of miraculous because he was kind of a god awful hitter the last, you know, the first few years of his career. Um, he was like a form, like a fringe top 100 prospect guy. Uh, but yeah, like the, the Orioles are going to be really bad offensively. And then in their rotation, like, if you thought the if you thought the lineup was bad, which it's pretty bad, it's not. It might not. It probably isn't the worst in the league. Their rotation is probably the worst in the league. I have trouble it's seeing there. them in Pittsburgh, maybe because they got rid of Musgrove. But even though Pittsburgh's pitching last year was actually kind of decent, it was the offense that was egregious. But like, I mean, John Means hasn't been good in two years. Keegan Akin, who I haven't really heard of until recently, and Dean Kremer. They keep on throwing out these dudes you've never heard of every year, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I mean, John Means was an all-star. Was it, was it in 2018 or 19? Like, he was an all-star. 2019 now. Yeah. It was he two was, years. Yeah. And years he ago. has not been good since he was an all-star. Um, no, he's gotten progressively worse. Yeah. yeah it, it's it's just, like like you said, they definitely have made it a point to, to show how bad they're going to be. And then they, you know, they signed Felix Hernandez, so you know, see if he's got anything left to the tank. And if he's a decent-ish pitcher this year, I mean, you could get maybe a single prospect, like a, not necessarily a big, like a big time one, but like a, like a mid to lower tier prospect. And, and, you know, just getting those young guys in your organization, you know, you can develop them and, you know, see where they, where they kind of go. So getting, I mean, maybe, I mean, Felix could put some butts in some seats once fans are allowed back on the stands, but yeah, their rotation, 
from top to bottom, it looks awful. It really, it, there's really nothing to look to get excited about. Their bullpen is intriguing to me, but their rotation is terrible. Huh. huh. Well, Felix Hernandez is a fine flyer. Like, whatever. Like, if he's good, mm-hmm. then great. You can trade him. But, like, if he's bad, then who cares? Right. And if he stays healthy, he can at least eat innings. Um, Jorge Lopez is a disaster. That guy is awful. I don't know why he's even, he has a major league contract that really, that, I mean, if you look at his numbers, um, let me pull them up. Let me pull them up really quickly. I'm doing the pre-research for this. Uh, Lopez last season between two teams at a 6.69 ERA and a 5.24 FIP. His ERA has been above five for three years straight now, and has been above six for two years straight. He's horrible. Mm-hmm. He's not a yeah. major leaguer. <laughs> yeah, no. And like and I was kind of at... sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, he and he came over to Baltimore after one outing with Kansas City, and yeah, he just he was just objectively bad. Like there was no reason. Like like there, you just look at his numbers. You know, strikeout rate was only sixteen point six percent. His walk rate was 7.1%. I mean, I guess that's decent, but when you, don't, when you don't strike out a lot of guys, you can't really be walking anybody. And he walks too many for guys to strike anybody out. It's just, it, like, I, I don't, I, I just don't, I don't see what the, what the desire to keep him around is. Maybe just as organizational depth, they must think that Matt Harvey will show something in the spring and Felix Hernandez where they can maybe cut somebody and put them in the rotation and kind of keep Jorge Lopez's depth. You know, I use air quotes, but um, I guess a couple other uh, <laughs> candidates for rotation spots who will probably be starting games for them this season include Bruce Zimmerman, Ashton Godot, which is really funny, uh, Matt Harvey, Wade LeBlanc. Wade LeBlanc was like especially especially atrocious last season if you've looked at his numbers, um, and in a whole host of guys like that, Thomas Eshelman. Uh, it's, it's again, they're horrible, uh, but you, you said that you're kind of interested in their, in, in their bullpen explain. Well, I mean, like I look at like the one guy that really jumps out at me is Hunter Harvey and he was really good in his first, you know, stint in 2019. He had a 1-4-2 ERA. His FIP was, you know, a couple runs higher, but his ex-FIP was two five eight. So he was pretty good in 2019, struck out 42.3% of guys he faced, albeit it was just six and a third innings, but then, then last year he gets 10 outings and he was just, he was just like kind of blah, 4.15 ERA, fit almost six. The strikeouts plummeted. His walks did too, but his, his strikeouts were a much more drastic drop off. Um, I'm really intrigued in him. The dude can come out and absolutely sling a fastball by anybody. It's just, a, he's, he's a prospect that I've kind of had my eyes on for a couple of years as a guy, as a guy who could potentially amount to something as a major league reliever. Um, he just seems so raw and I, I like him. I like Tanner Scott too. Um, nice little lefty out of the bullpen. Um, and then, you know, Travis Lakins, I, I liked him when he was in Boston. I thought that they kind of gave up on him a little early and I think he can amount to something at the major league level too. And then obviously they got Dylan Tate in the, uh, Zach Britton deal a couple years ago. So, you know, give him as many opportunities at any, as many opportunities as you can. Cause you know, you gotta, you gotta show something from that trade other than just getting rid of Zach Britton. You know, it was decent last year, Dylan Tate. Yeah, Dylan Tate was pretty good last 
year. I'm looking. I'm looking now. Yeah, he was pretty good last year. Yeah, three point two ERA and a three point five fifth. That's actually okay. Um, his <laughs> strikeout rate wasn't high enough for someone who 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 is relieving in games at, at seven point five. But you know, the the walk rate was low for a reliever. The home run rate was astronomically low. But again, that was only sixteen and two thirds innings, which is the problem with a lot of this evaluating for heading into the season. Is that like we're basing last year's stats off like almost nothing. Right. right with a with a whole bunch of these guys especially and that i mean that's with everybody across the board um mm-hmm. especially the relievers since like they're already i mean relievers are already hard to predict anyway but like especially after last season's like really really short campaign like how like how do we how good do we how like how good is devin williams really for example right i mean the guy had like a 0.5 era last season but it was only in like well like 30 innings you know, um, so yeah. it's, it's tough to say like how good half these players are. Um, yeah, I don't have a ton to add about this team. They're really bad. I mean, they they're are. just kind of boring too. Like it, it's, it, and there's not, and there's not like a lot of young prospects on this team look, that you're looking forward to coming up this season, you know, like at least some of the, at least a team like Seattle has like we can ask the question oh when is Jared Kalina coming up but like with this team it's just nothing yeah there's because nothing Rushman's still away kind of a year an extra year away now because the pandemic lost him a season so yeah Paul Fry was good last year he was actually really good last year do you want to see these numbers you want me to hear do you want to hear these numbers for yeah a second? sure why, why not 11.8 strikeouts per nine innings 2.45 ERA and a 3.6 FIP. He was very good last year. Surprisingly huh. good. Yeah. Paul Fry. Their bullpen not, might not be horrible. Yeah, their bullpen will be okay. They'll be they're gonna have some guys kind of like they did last year with Givens and Castro that they'll have guys they can trade at the deadline. So they'll be able to get their their prospect return, their prospect pool will come mostly from their bullpen, if I had to guess, because there's nothing or in Trey Mancini. It'll be their bullpen and Trey Mancini, and that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that I think that's enough on the Orioles. They're gonna finish in last place. I don't think we can really talk about that much. Um, next up for me in fourth are the Boston Red Sox. Um, I don't know if you disagree with me with this take at all. Maybe you have them higher, maybe you have them right here at this fourth spot, but I don't know. I, I just feel like this team is really weird, kind of weird. And they're they're very can be weird. decent. Um but yeah. I'm feeling I'm, 80 wins, 81 wins, 82 wins, something like that. What do you have them at? Um, I I actually have them in third, but I have them at really. I I only have them at 82 wins. Really? Yeah. Who do you have behind them? I have Toronto wins. behind them. Really? Oh yes, wow. I'm, we're gonna let, we're I'm gonna save Toronto then for when we get to Toronto. Um, okay. but with the Red Sox, uh, last season they went 24 and 36. They're Team Wager runs created plus was 11th, which is actually pretty good. Uh, their defensive war was 11th, which is also pretty good. But their team FIP was 30th in the league. They had the worst team FIP in Major League Baseball, and that includes a lot of other bad teams, including the Baltimore Orioles. That's unbelievable. Um, that's not going to happen again this season. Their rotation is healthier. They, they're bringing back Chris Sale at some point during the season. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez will most likely pitch um, on opening day, um, be ready for opening day. And then they added a whole bunch of guys, Adam Montavino, um, Garrett Richards, Matt Andres, 
Hirokazu Sawamura, um, and then at the plate, and, and then they also bulked up the lineup quite a bit with Kike Hernandez, Frenchie Cordero, uh, Marwin Gonzalez, Hunter Renfro, and most recently today, Ronaldo Hernandez. Uh, they lost, they got rid of slash lost Andrew Benintendi, Colin McHugh, Jackie Bradley Jr., Zach Godley, and Jose Peraza. Um, I guess we can include guys like Chris Maz on that list, but I decided not to. Um, they have a, if they if the season turns out poorly for them, they have a ton of guys that they can trade. Um, <laughs> but if the season turns out well, there's a very outside chance they make the playoffs. If they were in the AL West, I think they would. I I would be tempted to pick them to make the playoffs. To be honest with you, um, but I'm not going to do that. So I guess before we get into like the lineup and the rotation and all that good stuff. Like what are your kind of your overall thoughts about this team? Well, I think a lot of the moves that Bloom made in the off season so far, or well, I guess it's not the off season anymore. Spring training starting, but um, I thought they were met with a lot of criticism, but a lot of people kind of just get attached to names like Andrew Benintendi. Like if he were, if he were as good as a lot of people make him out to be, he wouldn't have gotten traded in the first place. They would have built around him. Um, I think a lot of the moves that they made, are solid depth moves. I'm not expecting Marwin Gonzalez to go out there and play like he did in 2017 with Houston. No. He's not that kind of player anymore. I think he'll be better than he was last year because I think his swing plays well at Fenway. Um, and I'm intrigued by Franchi Cordero. His quality of contact is ridiculous. Like his expected weighted on base average on contact last year was like 515. It was a very small sample, but like the dude hammers the baseball when he makes contact. Now, if he can limit the strikeouts and stay on the field, those are two big ifs, but I think he could be a decent player if those two things start to fall his way. Um, I, I think overall they're a solid team. I, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people on Twitter are saying like people are sleeping on them. I don't really think that it's called sleeping on them to say they're not a playoff team because they really aren't. I mean, 82 wins is, is okay. It's a huge step in the right direction, but it, it's like, let's not, let's not get carried away with thinking they're going to be nasty. 82 wins solid. Yeah. I pretty much agree. I like this team and like, but not love. I, I think their lineup is sneaky deep, especially as it's, as it's projected right now, it would, according to fan graphs and Kike Hernandez is batting ninth. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Like he's a good, he's a pretty solid power hitter and someone who might not be quite as much of a splits, uh, like as, as, a, as a strict splits guy, as people, some people think. Um, and then their bench doesn't look super deep right now, but like Marvin Gonzalez could play a whole bunch of different positions. So it doesn't totally matter. The fact that they only have three bench guys at the moment, and it sounds like they actually are going to go with 14 pitchers this year, which is the smart move, um, especially with COVID. So yeah, they got to let's, let's break down the lineup here. Um, right now, as it stands, according to fan graphs, leading off would be Alex Verdugo. Then it would be in center field, which is makes me nervous. Um, and then shortstop is, would be Bogarts, third base, Devers, uh, JD Martinez at DH, Christian Vasquez beyond the plate, Hunter Renfro heading sixth and in right field, uh, Frenchie Cordero, a very violent baseball player <laughs> in left field, uh, Bobby Dalbeck at first and then Key Hernandez batting ninth. It's an interesting lineup. It's kind of deep. There's not any, I wouldn't say there's any black holes in there and a lot of interesting faces i'd say yeah i think the black the, the one black hole would probably be i mean if you 
I mean, I guess they're technically two, but like Franchi Cordero and Hunter Renfro don't have a great track record at the MLB level. Hunter Renfro's a low on base guy, and he's similar. He's like the righty Franchi Cordero. Like he strikes out a ton, doesn't get on base a ton, hits a lot of like monster home runs, and he'll play probably better at Fenway than Franchi will. Um, the the lineup is definitely sneaky deep. I mean, you have Kike Hernandez batting ninth, like you said. Um, and then them prioritizing versatility in this past off season was definitely smart. Um, carrying 14 pitchers is a great idea because, you know, with, with um, the residual effects of last season, plus the uncertainty of, you know, potential stoppages uh, or delays in the season because of COVID this year, having 14 guys in your pitching staff is a great idea, especially a lot of them can start. Like even Matt Andrees can start if you need him to. Um, you've had some other guys that are in the bullpen that could, you know, maybe give you a few innings as an opener. They, they have options this year. And that was something they did not have last year. Like instead of Matt Hall, Chris Mazza, and, you know, Ryan Brazier starting and Andrew Triggs starting, you're going to get, you know, you're, you're going to actually have a start. You're going to have a starting rotation this year. Like Nick Pavetta is going to probably start the year in AAA. Tanner Houck, who was really good in his three starts last year, is probably going to start the year in AAA. So that's really nice. Uh, it's really nice to see. Obviously, you're getting um, Eduardo Rodriguez back, so they'll be they'll be pretty good. Hmm. I, I I don't know. I just to go way back to the beginning with Renfro. I think he's better than he was last season. Last season, he just had a 77 wig runs created plus. I think that was a bit of an outlier. He's probably closer to the 90 to 100 range as a hitter in terms of his wig runs created plus. But the guy hits home runs. I mean, 26, 26, 33 before last season. Um, in terms of a home run count. I mean, last year, obviously, that's going to skew it quite a bit because of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, he's a better defender than I think some people give him credit for. He's actually a pretty solid corner outfielder defensively. Um, not spectacular, but solid. And, you know, it's not bad. I'd rather have him in a little more of a platoon, right? I, I guess than than what they have him at right now but like it's you know i'm, I'm fine with Hunter renfro he's if he's hitting sixth on your team i don't think it's the end of the world yeah um, the, the dream for for like when you looked at hunter renfro getting signed was to pair him with jock peterson because one kills lefties one kills righties and they both can't hit the other side but obviously that didn't happen so you're going to be so hunter renfro is going to play probably 120 130 games and you know you'll, you'll see what you get out of them hmm yeah. And like, they have a lot of guys who I just think will generally bounce back next season, like JD Martinez. Um, I don't think he'll be quite as disastrous as he was last year. I don't know what disastrous was the right, right word, but he wasn't very good. I think Vasquez is probably a slightly better hitter than he showed last season. He wasn't, he, I think he definitely took a step back in that department and Cordero with a full season and with a starting spot will be interesting to see, like, it'll be interesting to see like a, if he can stay healthy, like what, does that look like what does 120 games of Frenchy Cordero look like because nobody knows this guy has not played more than 40 games in a season once in mm -hmm. his career and he's just a very violent player right big yeah. arm fast guy hits the ball hard and hits the ball far but strikes out a ton isn't a good defender at all um and and I don't know it, 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 it there's signs that some of this stuff can turn around maybe not as defense but especially with the strikeouts, signs it, there there are signs that it could turn around. But um, I don't know. It's weird because it it, it 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 on the surface it looks like you should give up on him because he's already 26, and this is his third team in two years. 
<laughs> yeah. The the one good thing about him and the reason why I liked him being the the guy that they got the like the, the one notable return that they got for Ben and is he's got that one extra year of control. So he's a free agent after 24. Ben and was 23 or was he 2022 20, or 2023 that he was a free agent. So buying an extra year of uh, control for a guy that's trending upward, whereas Ben Tendi's trending downward, it was a no brainer. And I'm also very intrigued to see, you know, what a full season of him would look like if you can, if you could get it. Cause like you said, you know, he's never played more than 40 games of the MLB mm. and he hasn't played more than a hundred games in a season since it looks like 20, 2017. So. The Ben Tendi wow. thing is, complicated because on the one hand it looks like they definitely sold low on him because of um i know the years of control kind of screws with that take a little bit but in terms of just his potential as a player and the fact that this guy was the number one overall prospect at one point and has had good major league baseball seasons in his career um despite how disastrous he was last year but again last year he only played what 14 games 14 games Right? 50 like play appearances, kind of, yeah. yeah, like what kind of sample size are, is that? You know, like how can we really judge a player um, on 14 games? Like that's just not very – that's just not good evaluation. Um, so it's – it is kind of conflicting that like the fact that the Red Sox would just kind of get – like give up this guy for a 26-year-old could-be prospect and some player to be named later. It's like that just seems a little – reactive but at the same time they add the extra air control and they potentially add more depth to their minor league system which is something that they desperately need as an organization um so it's it's just a really it's it's kind of a weird move but it's also a really interesting one you know yeah i mean they definitely gave themselves options i mean obviously at the minor league level but you you gave yourself a little bit of a margin too so you can really only hit on one of those four player to be named later players and it ends up being a good trade. You know, you're giving up two years of Ben Tendi, two years that you're probably not buying for a world series anyway. And you don't risk his value tanking even more. So it, it they gave themselves a margin for error. And on top of that, they bought themselves an extra year of control in Cordero at the major league level. So um, I, I think it, it's a, it was an interesting move to say the least, but I think it, the move, the, the return they got was the right one. And I think it was a good trade in the end. And I think people will, will realize that maybe not this year, but down the road. Yeah. Cordero is a fun player. So like Santander is a fun player. Like Franchi is like a really lovable guy. Just, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I just wish good things for, for him um, <laughs> in general. Uh, and yeah, like Bogart's endeavors are, like elite players at their position still. And the top four of this lineup when clicking could be deadly. Um, Verdugo was awesome last season. I don't think he's as good as he was last year, but he's still a very good player. Um, I think Vasquez is an above average catcher, given how weak the catcher position is in major league baseball today. And I think Dahlbeck can at least give you power, even though he's going to strike out 30% of the time. Um, So like they have home, they have some power, they have some depth. Um, They don't have, they don't too many like, star studded guys outside of second outside of shortstop and third base, but their lineup isn't a disaster at all either. I do worry about their defense and center field at, at like at quite a bit actually, because of how big center field and center, how big center field at Fenway park is. But overall, I it's, I, it, there's not 
a ton of glaring weaknesses here. You know, I, I guess that's the thing that I'm trying to like hit on here. Right. Yeah. And even if one of these guys gets hurt, they have Mario Gonzalez who can play every position. And then, or even a guy like Christian Arroyo who was like weirdly good last year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there, that, that was the big thing for me watching the Red Sox go from 2020 to 2021 was did they improve organizational depth both at the MLB and minor league level? Then they did. They checked both boxes there and they have a, a ton of question marks. But some of I'm imagining they're not going to have, you know, this rotten luck where none of them are good. Like none of the answers to these questions are good. And they're going to be right around 500 because of it. You know, they've got some good players like J.D. Martinez. A lot of people are ready to call him, you know, washed up. Like he's getting the video room back. He's going to be fine. He'll be able to adjust in game. He'll be he'll be good this year. We think he's getting the video room back. Is that confirmed? I'm curious. I thought it was confirmed. I saw a lot of people Is writing it? about how they're going to get the video room back. And if, I mean, but also if not, you know, law of averages comes into play at some point. And he was a lot better in September than he was the first month and a week of the season. Um, he'll be fine over one over a 162 game stretch. I don't, I'm not worried about him. I mean, maybe he's not the same guy he was in say 2018. But, no, but he'll be closer to the 2019 version of himself than he was to the 2020. So he'll probably be, you know, roughly, you know, 125 to 130 weighted runs created plus as opposed to 77, but not quite the 139 he was in uh, 2019. Everything went went wrong for JD last season. I don't, I just don't totally think that's going to happen this year. Like, his, yeah, attitude, the- his attitude just wasn't great to begin with. Like he just seemed really kind of like mopey and down all season and, you know, gave a lot of excuses and then obviously didn't have the video room. So he just kind of, it just kind of was like, he was given an excuse and he just went with it and he was just like, I'm just going to play it out. And then you got Cora back too. And I think that helps the offense in a weird way because now they actually have a man, like a, an actual manager last season. They didn't have a manager. Right. You know? I, I, it, it, it's like there's some small signs that they were decent offensive offensively last year with you know 11th place in the league and Wade runs created plus like they're going to be close closer to the top they could they could make the top 10 this year if things go right in mm-hmm. certain spots so um i mean they won't have like ben and black hole bat in the lineup they won't be putting jose Peraza in there once every three days like it, i don't know it's they they got an interesting little team they also um, don't have to give playing time to Jonathan Arrows. Yeah. Um, they don't have to keep him in the MLB because he's a rule five guy. Now they can just stash him in the minors and let him actually develop. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's stuff like that. Um, and now, and then let's look at the rotation, which was their biggest problem last year by a country mile when they were throwing guys like, Ooh, say Kyle Mike, Hart. Said, Mike kick him. Mike kick him. Oh Hart. my God. Mike kick him. <laughs> yeah, that was that last year last year there was a lot of like I like to think of myself as being relatively like well rehearsed in who random players the MLB are I had never heard of Mike Kickham before like, maybe even his second start like I don't think I watched the first one but the second one I had to look him up and oh my lord I believe Kickham had a cup of coffee with the Giants um six years ago or something like that and <laughs> then no, he popped up in the major leagues again. Yeah, um, he he yeah he pitched with the Giants in twelve games in twenty thirteen, twice in twenty fourteen, and then was in the minors every year since then, and then got six outings with Boston last year. That was twenty twenty for you. That that was that's how bad their 
That's how bad their pitching was. That's how bad Boston's pitching was last season. Um, and now though, it's there's some depth. Not not a, you know not a lot of, not a lot of aces on this rotation, but a lot of depth. There's Navy Valdi who showed signs last season of being not a total train wreck, not the train wreck that he was in 2019. Um, right. Had a great start to the season, plateaued, but finished the year with a 3.70 RA and a 3.8 FIP. Like he was pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Cut down his walk rate significantly from this compared to the season before. Stayed much healthier. Um, wasn't just like a glorified reliever. Uh, yeah, he's when he's on the field, he's generally pretty good. Nathan Yavali, when he's throwing strikes and on the field, his stuff is too good for him not to be at least a middle of rotation guy and somewhat worth the money that he's getting paid. Is he worth yeah. anything in a trade? No, because I don't think any other team's going to be willing to bring on that contract unless you take all the money for the, con- yeah. <laughs> the contract. But yeah, you have to take a good chunk of it to get anybody to really bite on a Yovaldi. Yeah. But he's still, but you know, he's, he's pretty good when he's gone, when he's, when he's going. Right. And then yeah, you got Eduardo Rodriguez, who, um, who had just horrible luck last season with the whole COVID situation and the heart situation. And now he's back, um, apparently ready for spring training and everything. So uh, as long as he doesn't get COVID again, again, that's a big F. Um, that's a big F with all these players mm-hmm. again this season. But if he doesn't get COVID, you're thinking of him as – a good number two, a good number two pitcher and a super duper number three pitcher on a, like a title winning team. Like he's a good, he's, I think he's underrated. I think people underrated Eduardo. He's a very good pitcher. Yeah. I was really like on the fence with him for a while because, you know, he would always show those flashes he'd have like that really long stretch of dominance and then get hurt. And he was out for six weeks. Like he was almost starting to become like the lefty Buckholtz where he was just like, he's so good yeah. when he's healthy but he'll always find a way to stop being healthy. Whatever the reason may be last year was just, I felt so bad for him after, and after the first year of him being healthy, he made 34 starts in 2019 and then all the, all these high hopes and then, you know, getting COVID and the myocarditis. So that was really, really unfortunate, you know, 2020 for him. But like you said, really good. Number two would be vying for like probably a top five, number three starter in baseball. Cause you know, some of these rotations are just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> He, I'm looking at you, San Diego. Um, he he'd be he'd be pretty good. And then like this team really kind of hinges on you know the free agent signing they made. That's Garrett Richards. If he is healthy, he's good. The problem is he hasn't been healthy outside of last year since 2015, I think it was, maybe 2016. And the one silver lining with him and his injury history is the fact that he needed Tommy John probably for like three years before he actually got it. So you'd like to think that the arm won't be much of an issue. I don't think he's had any like lingering knee problems since tearing his ACL on the Fenway mound um, in 20, I believe that was 2014, I want to say, or 2013. Um, so basically if he can pitch to the level that he, I mean, even the level he pitched at last year, which wasn't great, but it was still, you know, more than solid. They'll be treading water right around the time Chris Sale comes back. And then it comes down to, you know, how he looks when he comes back. I'm a Garrett Richards believer, not only because he's a very nice fella, very nice guy, Garrett Richards. Um, He's talented, you know, 
still more or less has that velocity. Still more or less still, yeah, he still more or less has that sharp breaking stuff. Maybe not quite to the level it was pre-injuries. And I'm saying injuries plural because he's had many. Um, In last year, he was, he was okay last year. Four ERA, 4.2 FIP, uh, Mm -hmm. eight strikeouts per nine, which isn't great, but okay. Passable. Right. And he needs a couple adjustments with some of his breaking stuff, I believe. Um, if I'm mem- if I'm remembering correctly in terms of what he can improve on, but it's more let's it's it's a slight adjustment. And if he can, you know, kind of sharpen his off speed stuff a little bit, he could actually be a decent number three pitcher on a decent team. Yeah. Like he could I- pitch game three of the World Series and you're not like killing yourself. Yeah, he's basically like it's almost like having a second Eovaldi at the salary that Eovaldi should probably be at, and that's ten million. Um, like you know, a guy who's good when healthy, he's just never really been healthy, you know, for a full season in a long time. Um, but you know, you, you take your chances on him if you're a team that's rebuilding because there's something there. You just kind of hope he can, you know, figure it out with his body. And, you know, that's, it's, it's a, it's a relatively significant gamble, but it's only a one year deal with an option. So like, if he's not good, you cut your losses at the end of the season. There's really no way you can lose that signing. You either trade him and if you're bad and he's good, you keep him if you're good and he's good, or if he's bad and you're bad, you can't move him. You just cut your losses at the end of the season. You lost nothing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then there's Perez, who was actually pretty solid last year. Don't, Surprisingly don't, so. Don't get me started on Martin Perez. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I just look at the, the Red Sox rotation, and I think the – it's just – I've never really been high on Martin Perez to begin with. And he was fine last year for the most part. Um, one start but- skewed his numbers. That one start at the end of the season – really kind of screwed around with his numbers. Was he as good as his ERA was at toward the beginning of the year? No, his FIP is more of an indicator of what he is. But I thought he wasn't a major league player when they signed him. I'm like, why are they – so we're bringing Martin Perez. Like, he's a fifth starter. You know what I mean? But he's actually – he might be I, – I, honest to God, think he's more than a fifth starter because of the innings he can eat and the fact that he actually does – he actually did say as healthy as any other pitcher on in, in baseball last season. You know, so at the very, I think worst case scenario, he eats, he eats innings, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's an innings eater. I and think the, I, I, I see what you're saying because the underlying numbers are bad, but like the eye test said, the eye test said otherwise, you know? So, so goddamn me and my, and <laughs> this old man baseball take I'm having right now, but he was okay. He was better than I thought last year. I, I thought he'd be last year. I think that's, the moral of my story. Yeah, he definitely exceeded my my bar in 2020. Um, he had three really, really bad starts last year and, you know, a couple blah ones. And then he had some pretty good ones. Like, he had that one start against the Yankees where he just, like, lit them up for six shutout innings and, like, completely blew me away. And I don't know what he what got into him that day, but he was nasty that day. Um I, I think in a year like this where you have you're gonna carry 14 starter or 14 pitchers on your team, he's a guy who can kind of be a tweener similar to Matt Andres where he can start when everyone's when no when sales out, he can be your fifth starter and you won't really lose anything out of it. And then when sale comes back, he can be like your sixth starter slash like long reliever, maybe some situational type stuff. 
Um, I don't think he'll be nearly as good as he was in 2020. Will he be designate for assignment level bad? Probably not. Um, but, you know, I'm not necessarily high on him, but, you know, he was okay last year. Yeah. And then Pavetta right now, at, at least according to the fan graphs, rounds out the rotation, but we don't know for sure who that fifth guy is going to be. Pavetta is interesting to me. Um, good stuff. He has good stuff um, with his pitches. And, you know, he's kind of a – he was big change of scenery candidate after what was a tough major league stint with the Phillies. Um, but, yeah, I mean – but even if those guys don't work, they have guys like Seabold and Huck in the minor leagues. They have Matt Andres in the bullpen who who they can bring up. They have some depth this year, you know. It's, it's gonna We're be not even nice. talking about Brian Mata. Like that's another guy too. So yeah, it's it's gonna be nice seeing you know the organizational depth this year that they didn't have last year. So like instead of Matt Hall or Josh Osich or Chris Mazza getting a start, you'll see Matt Andres. And like Martin Perez won't be your number two starter. He'll be your five or six starter. So it's nice to see that they addressed the organizational issues they had last year. Like, I don't, I don't want to be seeing Mike Kakeham get a start in September. I want, I, I would like that to be the, the days you get Tanner Houck and Nick Pavetta and maybe Brian Mata, or if you really, I don't agree with it, but if you really want Darwin's and Hernandez to be a starter, maybe that's when you kind of, you know, you see what you got there, but yeah, he's a reliever. He's, he's definitely a reliever. Which is fine. His stuff is good. I, I think Fangrass's projections don't like don't like him very much, mostly because I mean the guy got pretty lucky when it it, it you know to start his career in terms of uh, his underlying numbers and his whip. Like if you looked at his whip it was, it, it, toward the beginning of his career, it was just it was just like he just ridiculous. walks everyone. He's it's like he is a three true exactly. outcome pitcher. Um, which is actually, I can't say that because he doesn't give a lot of home runs, but like his career, he's struck out 37.4% of batters he's faced and he's walked 18.2%. Like if you're going to walk that many guys, you better strike out that many guys. I'm hoping, you know, the strikeout, if, even if the strikeouts take a little bit of a hit, you know, you got to get that walk right down to like, you know, 12%. They brought but he's, him up too early. They did. And he worked out a lot of his kinks and he got really tired in 2019. That's where a lot of the issues came. But I like him a lot. Yeah, I think he can be Jake McGee, like you know, just an explosive fastball, pretty good, uh, pretty good breaking ball. But he'll be known for his heater, and that's perfectly okay because it's ridiculous. Boston's bullpen's kind of weird. Um, we're going way too long with this podcast right now, but it's fine. Um, Boston's bullpen's really weird. Uh, Matt Barnes as the closer isn't a great look at the moment, according to the Fangraphs. But my guess is that. Adam Ottavino will be the closer at the end of the day when it comes to this team. Uh, Ottavino to me is easily the best reliever on this team. And if it weren't for one bad outing last season, his numbers would have been just as good, if not better than they were in years past. Like he is excellent. Um, and that was a very good trade for Boston. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's similar to the Garrett Richards contract. It's one year deal. You trade him at the deadline. If he's good and you're bad or you just let him go at the end of the season and you, got no, you lost nothing so exactly and you got frank uh frank herman in the in the minor leagues too so it was a good trade also mm-hmm. brazier i'm um, i'm out on brazier I, I i i think he's done like we we, we I, the, it was fun while it lasted the, with, the, with the with the whole ryan brazier 
situation. And Drees, again, is a long relief guy slash starter potential. Um, Angels fans hated Matt and Drees. His numbers weren't horrible, but yeah. If, if he's like your sixth starter, I think you can get away with him. I've never been a big Matt and Drees fan myself, but yeah, it's I mean, whatever. He can, I mean, um, he'll, be, he'll be used primarily in the bullpen. That's where he should be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Hirokazu Sawamura, we have no idea how good he's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. These Japanese guys can be pretty volatile in terms of their um, quality, but apparently does apparently throws pretty hard. So we'll see. And then Darwin's in, as we mentioned, Austin Bryce, who it's interesting that he's the guy that they decided to keep out of all the, I know names. I've been thinking that for like a week now, like I knew Jeffrey Springs, even though his peripherals were better than his seven plus ERA was yeah. last year. Um, I thought he'd be the first guy to go. And then the next guy would be Bryce and then keep Maza. But no, they, they decided they're going to keep Bryce. And I think he'll probably go if they make any other moves. Um, it's just, it's the most rational. And him and Marcus Walden are probably the only two left that are really, you know, strong cut candidates. It's a good yeah. problem to have though. Yeah. Walden had his moments, has had his moments too in the sun. Yeah. There have been moments where like, oh, Marcus Walton's really good. And then they look at the underlying numbers and like, not really. Um, and then Josh Taylor, who basically missed all of last season because of COVID as well with Darwinson. So he was pretty good in 2019. So that, he's an interesting little lefty. And then Garrett Whitlock is the long guy right now. Uh, real five pickup. Uh, he's only yeah. 24 years old. That, that, I, that guy, I have no idea what we're going to, what the, what Boston's going to get out of him. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much the team at the moment. They have, and like we've said a bunch of times already, they have depth, um, mm-hmm. whether it's a catcher with the recent addition of Ronaldo Hernandez or in the rotation or up the middle, you know, like they have guys who they can throw at different positions at any time. And that's something that didn't have last season. And last season was pretty disastrous from Boston's standpoint. Um, they're, they have the number four overall pick in the draft, which is kind of strange in general. Um, but you have them in third place. I have them in fourth place. But uh, the next team we're going to get to is just to speed this up a little bit uh, is the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I have them in third, which is kind of a hot take. But you know what? I'm, I'm sticking with it. And the reason why is I, I just – I know they plug in and plug out guys so well, and it almost doesn't matter who's on the roster. They seem to be successful because they always put the guys – put guys in the right spots. But I just don't think they have – the, the same depth that they had last season, just in terms of dudes who, who I can confident, who can like do a thing, especially in the lineup. They don't seem, they can't, it seems like they've lost a lot of the platoon depth that made them so good in the playoffs. Um, let, let, let's go over their team. Last year, they finished, they finished 40 and 20 with a team weight runs created plus of it, it that was finished in eighth place. Uh, their defensive war was in seventh and their fifth was in seventh. That's pretty incredible that they were top 10 in the league in three major categories um top eight in the league actually i mean it makes sense that they made the world series then i guess uh they lost blake snell they lost charlie morton they lost aaron sluggers they lost jose alvarado nate Lowe, aaron loop hunter renfro john curtis and ronaldo hernandez a lot of good players in there a lot of valuable players in there especially blake snell especially charlie morton and to replace those guys they added luis patino Cole Wilcox, Francisco Mejia, Rich Hill, Michael Waka, Chris Archer, Colin McHugh, Hunter Strickland, Blake Hunt. And yeah, that's pretty much 
it. And I guess we can add Chris Mazza and <laughs> Jeffrey Springs. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I'm worried about Tampa a little bit in terms of them being like a legitimate playoff team. They're definitely going to be a contender. And I think they're better than Boston. Um, but I do think they took probably one or two steps forward in terms of the long-term approach, but they definitely took more than at least a step back in the short term. What do you think? Um, I think, I mean, I have them as my second place team in the East. Um, Cause I think from a rotation standpoint, they lost Snell and Morton, but I think Rich Hill is going to be really good for them. Like he's like the perfect mm. Tampa Bay Ray. Um, I think Chris Archer is much better than his 2019 indicated. They basically the pirates looked at him and he said, they said, Oh, your worst pitch is your two seam and your best pitch is your slider. Well, you're going to throw more of your worst pitch and less of your best pitch. And then he got lit up. And then obviously, you know, coming off the thoracic outlets uh, surgery, that's, that's, you know, really kind of hit or miss as to whether or not he'll be any good, but if he's healthy, I trust the Rays more than just about any organization in baseball to figure him out. I agree with that. Um, And if he's good, you know, him at the top with Tyler Glass now, who I'm not necessarily sold on as being like, you know, a legit number one on a title, like a title contender, but he's still pretty, pretty good. Um, Him, Archer, Waka is not really anything, but, you know, Rich Hill, I think he'll be really good for them. Um, looking at the rest of the, I think Luis Patino was a good get, but that's more of a long-term play. And then Ryan Yarborough is exactly. solid. Like he's really, he's, he's solid and he, he, you know, he gets the job done for them. But I think I, I still have him as my number two team in the East. I think they're going to take a, a step back. They'll be well behind the Yankees, you know, breaking news. I have them first, but, um, <laughs> um, but I think they're going to be a pretty, pretty good team, you know, they always find a weird way to win like 90 games. And I have them winning 91 basically for that reason. It's like, it's like picking the Patriots to go 12 and four every year from 2010 to 2019, uh, picking the race to win 90 games is becoming a pretty safe bet. Huh? Yeah. I, I don't feel comfortable about being skeptical about them. I don't know about even skeptical. I still think they're going to win like at least 85 games, but I, I think I have some, I have legitimate questions about the rotation. So I kind of want to like mix things up and start there. Actually glass. Now I think he's really good. I think that his ERA hasn't shown him to be a new, like uh, his ERA hasn't panned out for him to be like an ace. But I I do think when you look at his strikeout rate, I I just think to myself, like, how's this guy, one of these years, this guy's just going to break out and be an ace. Um, he gave up a, his home run rate went up from the year before his walk rate went up from the year before. So if he can just throw more strikes, literally he'll be fine. You know, he'll be closer to the guy who had a 1.7 ERA in 2019 than not. Right. Because he's just so talented. His stuff is so good. Um, he was so highly touted coming out of the Pittsburgh system for a reason. And this could be a year where he really breaks out as more of that ACE material, but you know, he needs to pitch more innings, A. It needs to go deeper in the starts, and B, he needs to throw less balls. Um, <laughs> but if he can fix one of those two things, he's at least as good as Blake Snell was. And I think Blake Snell was a little overrated um, for them overall because he can only pitch six, six innings. Third time through the lineup, he got killed almost really oh, 
almost against anybody else, against anybody, to be honest with you. Um, and losing Morton is a huge problem for me as well. So to replace them with Waka, who is an interesting project, but I, but that's still a question mark for sure. I don't think he's as bad as he was with the Mets. I mean, the numbers on him with the Mets are really tough, but at the same time, at the same time, he got kind of unlucky, right? Because his strikeout rate went up, his walk rate went way down, and yet the BABIP was at 366. Um, his home run fly ball rate is at 20%. Like it was, it was, it was, he, to me, when I look at the underlying numbers with him, he got unlucky. So I actually, I'm actually kind of high on Glass now, and I think Walk is solid. And I think Yarbrough is a little better than I give him credit for usually. But Archer, I'm really skeptical of, mainly because of the thoracic. Uh, the surgery that you re- met, you just referenced. And then Rich Hill, Rich Hill's numbers were good last year on the surface, but the underlying numbers are, are made, made me nervous. His strikeout rate went way down. His Sierra numbers are really poor. It's, it's worrying, you know, and he's a 40 year old pitcher and they're going to, and if they get innings out of him, great, but their bullpen isn't as strong as it was last season. So I have, question marks question marks in terms of being able to you know fit the pieces together as well as they usually do and they still have a ton of injuries right now with their with their arms like Chirinos is still hurt coming off of Tommy John Brent Honeywell can never stay healthy Brendan McKay's still hurt Jalen Beeks is hurt Oliver Drake's hurt Colin Poche's hurt like those guys if those guys were healthy or half of those guys were healthy I'd be a lot more optimistic with this team but they're just not right now and yeah, their bullpen's still probably going to be pretty good, um, even without John Curtis, but it's not quite as strong as it was last season. And I'm kind of interested to see, like, how fresh some of these, some of their arms will be after, you know, using them so much in that deep playoff run. So I, I don't know. I, I have questions, you know, and their offense kind of overachieved last year. So I, I, I know I just went on way too long of a rant, but I don't know. It's, it, I'm a little concerned about Tampa. Yeah, I mean, I think the wild card in their bullpen is probably Nick Anderson. He was probably the one who got affected the most in that bullpen from, you know, having to ramp it up again late, late or later on than, than normal and then getting used a ton in the playoffs. He ended up becoming a complete liability and you had no faith in putting him into the ball game. In fact, I'm pretty sure he was the guy who came in for Snell in the World Series clincher yeah. that, you know, ended up, you know, I don't want to say costing them the game, but he definitely did not do them any favors. But I think, you know, the rest of the bullpen is pretty good. Diego Castillo's good. Peter, uh, Pete Fairbanks just became an absolute animal last year, which especially in the playoffs, which was absurd. And then, you know, obviously it's kind of a hit or miss with guys like Brian Moran. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be anything lefty kind of submarine type pitcher. Um, and then, if, I mean, they liked Jeffrey Springs enough to trade, you know, their number 14 prospect for him. Um, I don't think they really thought anything of Chris Mazza. He's kind of just going to chill in the minor leagues, but Jeffrey Springs, you know, his, his peripherals look good last year. He struck out a lot of guys, didn't walk a ton. So he just seems like the perfect guy to go to the Tampa Bay Rays and just become, you know, the top 15 reliever. I, I know, I I'm, I know I'm, I know I'm yeah. going kind of like off gut feeling when it comes to the Rays. Just cause it's just, there's, they have such a track record of just taking, just random guys and just turning them into studs. It was kind of like Houston for those few years, but like Tampa Bay has been doing the same thing for like a decade. And the thing is, I don't think you're totally wrong. Um, it's, it's, and, it's like, it's like, yeah. it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard because like 
with a lot of the guys that I, like I reference, like Brian Moran and Jeffrey Springs, it's like, well, they haven't really done anything at the MLB level. But then my counter arguments, like, bro, it's the Rays. Like they do it all the time. You, you just kind of have to, you know, take it, take it for, you know, what they do. It's kind of what they do. They just turn guys' careers around and make them really good pitchers. They did it with Jalen Beeks, who I know he only made like two appearances with the Red Sox, but he got shelled in those two appearances, and he went to Tampa Bay and was immediately an incredibly effective pitcher. So, yeah. That was a little mechanical change. I think they shortened his his throwing motion, right? Yeah, they kind of changed it. It's kind of yeah, like a Giolito. Yeah, yeah, like the Giolito. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's just really great coaching. Um, they did that with Fairbanks too, and look at him. <laughs> he was an yeah, animal. Yeah, Fairbanks is an animal. I'm not worried about him. Yeah, no he's going to be nasty. Fan. I think he um, could be their, He could probably become their closer. I know that they kind of yeah. do a bullpen by committee, but I think he could eventually take that step to just be their closer. They have some interesting guys in their bullpen, even though it isn't quite as deep as it was last season without loop, without sluggers, without Curtis. But um, even if like an Anderson is really tired, uh, they still got Castillo. They still got Fairbanks. Of course, those are the bigger names, but Ryan Thompson's all right. He's interesting. He's kind of just a quirky righty Uh, sheriff. Of course Uh, there's Cody Reed and Trevor Richards are the two really interesting guys. I kind of want to like, that, that that I kind of want to keep my eye on this season. I mean, Richards was a guy who, I mean, started games in Tampa Bay. You saw something in him. He didn't look like, you know, one of those Tampa starters, like a Jordan Yamamoto who was like, he comes into the game and is like, oh, this guy's horrible. But there was a little something with him, right? Mm-hmm. And then with the Rays last year, he wasn't good. But in But before last season, non-COVID, I mean, in those – only 23 innings in the Rays, granted, but he had a 1.93 ERA when he, when they traded, when they acquired him from Miami. So he's kind of interesting. His walk rate went right, way down. Um, but if you can get back to what he was in 2019 and kind of get over all the COVID stuff, then he's kind of an interesting guy to watch out for. And then Cody Reed, Cody Reed is, has explosive stuff. Um, this guy was a top prospect for the Reds. Rays give Rays are now giving him a chance as a reliever, and I feel like that could be a pretty good role for him. Um, he's already shown it one season with the Reds, so yeah, like their bullpen still pretty is, is obviously good. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's I don't, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see like how do some of these guys, especially Fairbanks and Anderson and even Castillo, react react after you know going through that long postseason. And again, like they're still they still have a ton of injuries in their in their in with I would say the rotation because you know they don't really have a rotation because guys just kind of come in and out all the time but I don't know it'll, it'll be interesting to see because I think one of the reasons why they got Hill and Archer and Waka was because they could eat innings mm-hmm. so you know so you might not see as many uh bullpen games from them this season but that's gonna a lot of that's gonna rely on guys who on a guy like Archer who you know is coming off a lost season basically and a guy like Hill, who's 40 years old, and a guy like Waka, who, I don't know, not a lot of people are excited about. So it is the Rays, though. So I could totally be wrong. It's um, just, it, I hate using that argument, but it's kind of hard not to when they do it so frequently. It's just – it's the Rays. It's, they are so good at finding guys who either, you know, showed signs of life at the MLB level and struggled, guys who got hurt, guys who you know there's that one thing that they're really good at that other teams don't notice that but they do and they bring them in and they exercise their potential and they're 
they turn out to be a lot better than they really than they had been in other and other teams. So, you know, it, it, I think they will be, they will be right around, you know, 90 wins again. I have them at 91 and 71 in second place. Mm. Offensively. Let's talk about their offense a bit. Um, really it was a best case scenario for them offensively outside of Benos and maybe Renfro and like a couple other like fringe guys. But in terms of their like more talented bats, a lot of guys had career years Joey Wendell got back to the guy he was his rookie season. Brandon Lau had the the, career, the like the season of his life. You know, it, he was incredible. Randy Arozarena was the best hitter in baseball for a month. Um, a lot of best. It just it just a lot of stuff happened to this team last year where, you know, this guy and this guy and this guy they just started raking. You know, it was really tremendous. And I get Yandy Diaz wasn't very healthy last season. I guess that was kind of a downer for them, but. I mean, they ended up at the end of the season eighth in the league in weight runs created plus, which is very surprising given just the talent they have offensively. And I guess you could say if everything goes right, including Meadows, you know, playing a full healthy non COVID season, then they could be a really good offensive team this year. But I don't know. It, it, they feel like their offense feels like a regression candidate to me. It definitely could be like the one, the one guy that I look at mostly is Willie Adamas, whose way of runs created plus jump from, I think, 97 in 2019 to 124 last year. Like, I know it, in 2018, it was, I believe, one, it was somewhere around 110. So, you know, he's a, I, I put in my notes, I just said, who is Willie Adamas offensively? You know, you, you kind of, you'll kind of figure it out this year, you know, whether he's, you know, a 120 ish way to runs create plus guy, or if he is more known for his glove, I think more so the latter, I think he's a, a pretty good defensive shortstop uh, potential to be great defensive shortstop. Uh, his back kind of lags a little bit. He'll be right around league average offensively, which is fine. Um, but I don't think he's going to be a 124 uh, way to runs create a plus guy again. And Yandy Diaz, his launch angle was negative seven last year. Like, I don't even know how that happens. Like, how do you do that? And his weighted runs created plus was 138. Like, how? Like, it's, the only play. I'm optimistic about Yandy. I think he's a talented hitter. Oh, I love the, Yandy. The angle, yeah. The launch angle is worrying uh, that, that you bring it up. But did he have like time, a shoulder like, injury? Like, if he had a shoulder problem or like something like with his upper body, like, I know he yeah. had, he's had leg issues in the past. But if it's something with his upper body, then you have to kind of chalk it up to that. In which case, if he's bought, like, bothered by a shoulder and he's still reaching base at a 43% clip and it's got 138 WRC plus even with only two home runs like that's just absurd and wow it's just wow I, I don't know it's just he's just such a weird like offensive player and I, I kind of love it like I love you know players are just really strange and he's just like perfect for Tampa Bay he's really Willie Thomas Willie Thomas might be the strangest player in Major League Baseball though with his offense um not just the, like the, the underlying numbers overall from, from season to season, like with the way runs grade plus keep on going up and down and up and down like that. But like he was, there was some sort of stat from his 2019, from his 2019 season where he was incredible at day, in day games at home. He had like this 150 weight runs created plus or something, but like it was like night games on the road. He was awful. It was like these really wild splits, depending on like the time of the time of day of the game, 
the time of the game and like the, the where it was either home or away and these crazy home and away splits. It was, I, I forget the number exact, the numbers exactly, but it was just like, this guy is an enigma offensively. Defensively, he's pretty good. Um, he's a strength, especially up the middle at a very important defensive position at shortstop. We haven't been talking about defense a whole ton on this podcast, which is a shame, but it's fine. Um, and their defense is going to be really good again this year. If, speaking about defense, I mean, Margot's back. Uh, Arena is fine out there. Um, Meadows is better off as the DH. So, I mean, if he can get back to the guy who was two years ago, then he's definitely good enough to be a DH and a, and a, and a good one in the major leagues. Um, yeah. They have a ton of versatility. Kiermaier yeah. can still defend. Like, they're fine out there. Like, Zanino, as bad as he is offensively, at least he's a good defender. So, yeah. yeah. Like it, That's the one thing that he's kind of got going for him. He's got some pop, which is good. Like, if you're going to be a really bad hitter, you better hit home runs when you make contact. Yeah. And that's what he does. And then, yeah, like you said, he's a pretty good defensive catcher, so can't really complain too much. And I did find the, the split you were talking about with Adamas. You had it backwards. Away games – Away games at night, his weighted runs created plus was 181. <laughs> Home games during the day, it was negative five. <laughs> so you had the right, you had the right, the right like times and like in locations that you it was just flipped. He was an absolute pest okay. on on in away games on the road, but I'm sorry, night. away games at night and terrible at home during the day. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is amazing. I, we're, I was talking about this stat with my friends like two years ago, and it was like, "What is this? We don't understand Willie Adams." I, I don't. I, I, it, it's going to be sad when they let him go when Franco comes up, um, because I didn't mention that they have they according to Keith Law, they have the number one minor league system in Major League Baseball with a 85 plus one roster. That's incredible. Um, so in the long term. They got even better, especially when you add Patino to that minor league system. But and maybe to a term, point, but he's not a prospect anymore. Really? Yeah, he because okay. but he, added he, he exceeded rookie right? limits. Yeah. Oh, really? He did. Wow. He's in yeah, the- in 2019, he had 240 plate appearances, so he exceeded rookie limits. That was a one year. Yeah, not Patino. I meant Patino. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, my bad. I think Patino still has his rookie. Oh, yes, he does. He, uh, he does. We can talk about him a little bit right now. Like, he is a weird player. Um, don't totally understand. And I hate his swing, first of all. And second of all, we haven't seen really any signs that he can play any sort of defense. So his whole thing was supposed to be offense, and his swing is awful. And then his defense is nothing. But, you know, if anyone's going to fix him, it's the Rays. So I, I think this is a very interesting manage, mar- marriage, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he, I mean, he's good. Like, he was okay offensively in 2019 with San Diego in his extended, you know, run. He played 79 games. His way to run trade plus was 96. Uh, it's a career high for him. His next best was 73, which is really bad. But, you know, he, he got an extended opportunity in 2019. He played well. And he's always raked to the minor league. So I don't necessarily think he's, you know, a lost cause at the MLB level. He does need – I agree with you. His swing is, is pretty bad. And it needs, it needs some – tinkering but i don't necessarily think he is a lost cause offensively i'm not saying you said that but i think he can be a pretty good offensive player um defensively i agree he's he's if he doesn't hit this year i think he's a lost cause i would agree with that he's blake swihart then if he can't hit this year um yeah that's that's probably a fair comparison switch hitting catcher that's not great defensively known for offense but even more talented though 
Oh, he's, he's way Blake more talented. Swihart, but more talented. Oh, he's way um, more talented, but I think that's a really good comparison. Yeah, yeah. I guess that would that that's what I would say about him. Um, and then like, yeah, like they're they're just a weird, you know, they're just a very Raisian team. They don't quite have the same bench depth that they usually have either. They don't really have the platoon going. Like Tutsugo right now isn't in their uh projected 26 main roster, and that's probably because he was awful last season. Um, didn't look like a major league player at all. Uh, the G-Man Choi, Yandy Diaz platoon is always fun. G-Man is a very fun player. They have a lot of fun players, it's but another guy, favorite I, players in baseball, G-Man yeah. Choi, love that man. Uh, but I think the last guy I do want to talk about, I, I guess a little bit more in depth before we kind of re- like finish up the Rays is Randy Orozarena. And that's because like, I don't think he's as good as he was in the playoffs. And yeah. you saw like little signs of this even during the playoffs where if teams threw fastballs high and up, up and in on him, he didn't seem like he could, you know, extend his hands as well. Right. And if you watch yeah. the swing path, it looks like he, he would have trouble with fastballs up and in it's like mid nineties fastballs up and in. So I'm interested to see if teams caught on that and we'll, we'll play it to him this year because he's definitely a regression candidate. I, I think he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. Like he isn't, he isn't like a bust and what happened in the playoffs wasn't a total fluke, but at the same time, like, is he better than Mike Trout at the plate? No, <laughs> you know, no. So. No, I think he'll be, I think he'll be good. Like, I mean, he like 176 WRC plus last year in the playoffs, it was 239. No, um, so he'll, he'll be good next year. I definitely could see it dropping to about 120 to 130. Like, it'll still yeah. be well above league average, but he definitely is going to hit, like, some sort of – I mean, he's a rookie. Like, he's a rookie this year. And he probably yeah. should be the favorite to win rookie of the year, and he probably will win rookie of the year. But he will be significantly worse than he was last season. Like, he's not going to slug 641 in the regular season again. He'll probably be hovering around, you know, 500. His OPS will probably be around 900. And he'll he'll be a good player. Um Decent, def- uh, decent defensively, decent to pretty good defensively. Um, but yeah, and he strikes out a lot too. So if, they, if teams catch on to that, that, uh, that little gif in his, or little, uh, like little area, little zone where he can't really get to it, he, he could strike out like 35% of the time. And that's not going to, that's not going to cut it. I do love that he keeps his bat in the zone for the so long. That's why he gets such good contact and, he was always kind of interesting because if you look really deep at his numbers in the minor leagues and the short time he was playing in the major with the Cardinals, it's that like his exit velocity rates were very good. Like he hit the ball hard. Um, he does. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Mike Brasso, just want to give him a sh- quick shout out. Uh, very fun player. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's the raise for you. Their minor league system's incredible. We didn't really get to talk about that too much. I mean, what else is there to explain when you add Patino to a team that already had Vidal Bruhan, Xavier Edwards, Josh Lowe, Shane Vaz, Shane McClanahan, who had a cup of coffee in the major leagues this year, last year, and the number one prospect in baseball, Wander Franco. Uh, it's incredible. And then Cole Wilcox as well. They got in the deal who I, who I've seen in person and really like, so I think he's really talented. So it, it's, it's embarrassing moving forward. They're, obviously going to be a world series contender again and we could see them in the world series as soon as next season i think um but this year just seems like kind of a step back for me and but a team that i think kind of slight just barely just barely in my opinion 
hop them in the standings are the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, last season, the Blue Jays finished 32 and 28. They had a team wage runs created plus at, 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 they were 12th in the league in wage runs created plus as a team, 22nd defensive war, which is one of my few concerns with them right now. Um, and then their team FIP was 21st. So based off those rankings, they probably were a little lucky in terms of making the playoffs. Right. But you also look at the talent of this team and I'm not stunned that they made the playoffs last year. And you can kind of tell at the beginning of the year, they kind of, this team was a little different than blue Jays teams of the last couple of seasons where it looked like they were just kind of, I don't say stuck in the mud, but you know, non contenders. Um, why do you have this team in fourth place? And um, I have them I... in second place. Like what's the, what, what are we missing here? I mean, I just look at their rotation and like I, Robbie Ray is a good, you know, a good bounce back candidate, but he walks a ton of guys. Um, and he did that. He, he tried to do the Lucas Giolito, like, you know, yeah, short arm thing, which was weird because he didn't need to, like he was already good and he changed his delivery. And I don't know if that's going to have any sort of residual effect on him. He's a good bounce back candidate, but I mean, I don't really, I, I don't know if, if it'll happen. I love Hyunjin Ryu. I think he's going to be fine. He's he's a really good pitcher. He'll be oh, he's he'll great. be okay. Yeah, he's an ace. Us. I mean, but yeah. I, yeah, yeah. We could talk about him later, but he's an ace. I mean, Tanner Roark really bad last year. He's gotten significantly worse, or he's gotten progressively worse each year since I believe 2016. Um, Ross Stripling, I you know he had that like perfect through seven in his MLB debut or whatever before he got yanked, and he's really not been very great since then. And then Steven Matz just seems kind of like, you know, a bust at this point. He's just trying to lash on somewhere. I know he got traded there, but I don't see anything in Steven Matz. He'll be, he, he can give you a good seven starts. You have no idea when those seven starts will happen, but you'll know he'll have a run of seven starts where you're like, he's an all-star if he gets going. And then if he can do this consistently, and then you're like, and that's why he's not an all-star. Um, they're, I mean, they've got good depth. Like, Anthony K is a good pitcher. I think Trent Thornton could be okay. Nate Pearson, um, I don't. I mean, he's not a bust. That would be kind of foolish to call him a bust after you know however many innings he had last year. It was like twenty something, I believe. If that, oh, it was if less that than many. that. It was less yeah. than that. He only had a couple outings. I think actually. Yeah. He had like three uh, starts or something. Yeah, yeah it, it might have only been like twelve innings or something. It was it was a very limited sample, so I think he'll be good. But I just think I look at the rotation, very top heavy. Like if you get Ray and Hyunjin Ryu going absolutely perfectly i i, I mean I, th- I think they could probably they'll probably usurp the red Sox in my standings and they probably win around 84 85 games but i just have so many questions surrounding their their rotation and then their bullpen has some you know some good pieces to it kirby yates is a stud but he is coming off of uh i think he had bone chips in his elbow so i think that's what Uvalde had and he's had and you always have to keep an eye on that and then just overall, their bullpen really isn't great other than him. Um, Tyler Chatwood and David Phelps are okay. A.J. Cole's okay. It's just their pitching it raises a lot of questions. Now, they are a great candidate to buy at the deadline. And the guy – I know I'm going off on a tangent here. The guy that I have circled as a great potential guy to sell for an elite pitcher at the deadline is Kevin Biggio, even though I think he might be the best of the three prospects between Vlad and Bichette, kind of a hot take, but I love Kevin Biggio a lot. I think he could be a good trade candidate. 
um, and get you, I don't know if it's necessarily like Sonny Gray or some, but somebody in that class of somebody in that tier of pitchers um, from a team that will definitely be selling at the deadline. And I think Toronto can make that move. I don't know if they will. And I think that's going to ultimately do them in in the end. Huh. I think you bring up plenty of valid points and I respect your opinion very much so. And uh, you're, that was a very, that was a fairly persuasive argument in my opinion, <laughs> but I, I, I just think a lot of the guys that they have in ter- like potential bounce back guys that they have, a lot of them are fixable. A lot of these, a lot of the problems that they had, a guy like Robbie Ray, right? He's fixable, in my opinion. A guy like Steven Matz, he is, to a degree, fixable. Um, I think Tyler Chatwood's going to be in the rotation and not Tanner Roark. Roark is the one guy out of all the veteran starters that they brought in in recent years that I've given up on. He stinks. Um, but I look at Ray, and he just needs to throw more strikes. To, like, not even – he doesn't even need the – his walk rate doesn't even need to be below three and he's okay. You know, at the very and when Toronto picked him up after trading for him from Arizona, his numbers were, were better immediately and not, it wasn't very good. It was at a 4.70 RA, I believe, but he wasn't disastrous either. Um, and as disastrous as he, was, as he was in Arizona. And I also look at a guy like Matt's, Matt's strikeout rate went up last season compared to seasons past. And that's a good sign for his stuff. The stuff is still there. He just needs to give up less home runs. His home run rate was absurd last season. And part of that has to do with luck. Simple, simply put, right? And I say his home run rate is at a reasonable level around one and a half, which is what it's what it was the previous three years. Then he's, you know, back to that high three, low four ERA guy who they don't need him to be an ace, but at the same time, he's more of like a number four pitcher, number three, number four pitcher. Like his striker rate was 10 and a half last season. That's really good for a guy like Steven Matz, who, you know, you think of Steven Matz, you think of more of a guy who pitches the contact, right? And then Pearson's extremely talented. And even if he isn't great, they have guys to back him up. Like stripling. I am, I guess I'm just higher on him in general. Um, to me, when he throws his curveball a lot, he's really effective. I like his curveball quite a bit. I've gotten to watch him pitch quite a bit since coming out to the West Coast. And I don't know, I'm just a fan of stripling. And it seemed like every time the Dodgers had him come in as a spot starter, it worked out. Um, didn't work out last season, but I, I just feel like, you know, give him a full year and have him throw his curveball more and he's effective again. And then with Chatwood, missed all of last season due to, due to injury, but you know, when Chatwood throws strikes to a reasonable degree, he's actually pretty good. His stuff's really good. And I know I'm asking a lot in terms of guys throwing strikes. And I know that's been a theme of what I've been saying, but you know, I, I just have hope because these guys have the stuff it's clear, you know, and I feel like the blue Jays know what they're doing in terms of um, picking the right reclamation projects to sort of get the most out of right. And these, these interesting little veteran, these interesting veteran pickups that they've made. And I think it's just enough to piece together a, a decent rotate, a pretty decent rotation actually, because I think Ryu is an ace. He's a full blown ace. If you just look at the numbers, he did regress a little bit last season, but it's just like the last two years he's been healthy a and B like, 
I, I don't know. Like he had a, he had a couple of bad starts to start the year last season that kind of skewed his numbers anyway. So in a full 162 game year, like what would those numbers have looked like at the end of the season when he really started to find his footing um, as the second month of the, of the two month season went along. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I know I just went on a whole rant on why I believe in the blue Jays rotation, but it's probably my, it's probably my most passionate hot take when it comes to this, this division. Um, no, it's the beauty of the AL East is I can see, I mean, like uh, I, I obviously the Orioles are going to come in last. The Yankees are more than likely going to come in first place. Yeah. But I yeah. could, you could make a case for any of those other three teams coming in second. You could, like they have, they have enough question marks where you're like, they're only going to win 75 games, and, but they also have enough guys that are like super talented. We're like, if they won 90, I wouldn't be overly shocked either. And that's the beauty of this, of this, uh, of this season. I just think um, kind of like the Arizona Cardinals, I think the Blue Jays are about a year away from being a, a winner. Like, I just think they're going to have a year hmm. where they're going to be, you know, hovering around 500. And I think their GM will recognize at the deadline, this is not the year to buy. Like, this is not the year to go trade at the deadline. Like, you don't give up Kevin Biggio, even though you have Marcus Simeon. He's only on, he's only there on a one-year deal anyway. Like, I think they're going to stand pat. They're going to just see what they have, see what, you know, how the market shakes out next winter and then go from there. I just think this is their, like, they take a little bit of a step back from last year. They missed the playoffs. And then next year is, or sorry, 20, yeah, 2022 is the year that they, you know, they kind of blossom and they're a team that's vying for not just a playoff spot, but potentially the American League East. I feel like last year was their Cardinals year in terms of um, kind of being like an around 500 team. That's fun and promising you know, but they actually made the playoffs just simply because the, the, the format was bigger, you know, <laughs> but yeah. I, I guess comparatively speaking, they were roughly the same, but like, I don't know. I just, I, 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 I do think there, there are, there are a decent amount of names in this bullpen that are certainly guys who are certainly regression candidates, right? Um, Baruchy is a regression candidate. Dolly is a major regression candidate. Um, Romano's a bit of a regression candidate, but I like Romano. I think he's good. I, I don't think he's maybe he's not quite as dominant as he was last season, but I think he's a pretty good reliever. Kirby Yates was one of the best relievers in baseball just two seasons ago. And then last year, he only pitched four innings. So how am I going to like, and he's gotten better every single season up until last year when he was hurt. So what, what about last, like, how am I going to, I'm not going to take last year's 12 ERA into account of how good he actually is heading into this year, unless I have real issues about what's going on in his elbow or shoulder. I'm forgetting which body part where he is. The, it was his elbow. Well, I'm pretty sure he had bone shifts elbows, his elbow. which is, which is worrying, but you know, still he's talented. And then David Phelps, David Phelps is a, is a progression candidate in terms of he's better than he was last year every other year of his career has shown him to be a good middle reliever. And last year was not the case for him. So I, I don't know. They, they got, they have arms. This team has like sneaky arms. As long as they can throw strikes, generally throw strikes, they have the stuff, but with a lot of these guys, you look at their walk rates and you're like, get the walk rate down, get the walk rate down, get the walk rate down. Or if it's Steven Matz, get the home rate, home run rate down. You know, if they can just work on those, on, on those aspects, and maybe two thirds of those guys pan out, then they got themselves a decent group of pitchers when their offense is already really talented. 
these I mean, I don't think you're going to argue me on that, right? Because like their offense is really good. Oh yeah, no, their offense is stacked. I mean, you add George Springer to a, a lineup that already features, you know, Biggio, Bichette, Telez, Vlad Jr. Uh, to Oscar Hernandez was an animal last year, though I think he will probably regress a little bit over the long haul of a, of a 162 game season. Um, I mean, this is this is the year that I think Vlad Jr. finally breaks out and actually becomes, you know, the hype. Like mm, he he's trimmed down, he trimmed down a ton. Um, he he just he, I saw some videos of him like moving, and he just he he just looks more athletic when he's moving around than he has in, in years past. He just looks so awkward trying to play third base and even first last year. Um, and I think with you know the added confidence of you know trimming a lot of weight, you know being faster, probably going to be a better defender because of that as well. It'll translate to the plate and he's going to, he's going to have a big year. I think um, they'll be great offensively. It's just, I think there's a lot of questions in that, in that pitching staff and enough for me to just be like, and eh, I just don't know if this is the year they really, you know, take that step. Huh. I respect it, but I don't know. I have hope. I see, I see that there's, there's stuff there. There's something there. Um Toronto, like I mean, Toronto's like I love it when Toronto's good because they have some of the most passionate fans in all sports across every major sports league. So you know, yeah. you get to the playoffs, you know, a lot. I'm I'm assuming by then, and this is this could be just wishful thinking. By then, you'll be close to, if not at 100 percent capacity in October. That yeah. that place is gonna get that place is gonna be nuts. Yeah. Um. I guess before I totally break down what they lost and it, before we break down the lineup, I forgot to mention what they lost and what they added. They lost Sean Reed Foley, Shun Yamaguchi, uh, Derek Fisher, Jonathan VR, Chase Anderson, Ken Giles, Travis Shaw, Anthony Bass, and Matt Shoemaker. They didn't, they didn't lose much. <laughs> um, but they added George Springer, Marcus Semyon, David Phelps, Kirby Yates, Tyler Chatwood, Steven Matz, and then Francisco Liriano. Like that's, that's an upgrade. Uh, Liriano, I put I put him in there just for fun. Um, the return of Francisco Liriano. It's just, it's just fun to remember him as it's just fun to remember him as like an entity. Like he just used to be like the guy that always got moved for a team that to a team that needed a lefty, and I just kind of <laughs> forgot about him. And then now he's back. It's just it's beautiful. He's back, he's back, baby. Coming. Hopefully, he'll be coming out of the bullpen soon enough for the for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, but yeah, they got better. Like if you last year's team was what made the playoffs. I know in the, it was the expanded 18 playoffs, but they still made the playoffs and they had promising moments for sure. And now you add Springer, even though I don't like the contract, he's still an excellent hitter and makes their offense even better. You add Semyon who is, you know, high va- is a high ceiling, a uh, high floor sort of situation, right? Because he's probably not going to hit ever be as good as, uh, as good as, as good as he was offensively uh, two years ago, but I think he has more power than he showed last season. So I, I, I am interested to see how he translates at second base. And at the very least, he's going to be an excellent defender at second and it's a one-year deal. So who really cares? And then, you know, Bichette is a young player. He's only 23. He, he has room to improve. Biggio is only 25. Um, I don't know how much room he has to improve because offensively he's actually been better last better since he's come up in the minor leagues than I remember him being. And I don't know. I just, and of course you mentioned Vladdy G like their offense has some ceiling to it, even though it was already pretty good last year. Not great. Actually worse than Boston's, which is surprising. Um, And, you know, and I think their rotation has improved a little bit in terms of just 
kind of their general depth. So I, I'm really optimistic on the scene, but let's talk about their lineup a little bit here. Um, let's talk about Springer in particular, because I wasn't a fan of the contract six years. I, I don't think he's going to age very well. It doesn't seem like a guy who, you know, he, his defense is, is part of his value. Right. And I think his knees aren't going to handle center field in Toronto very well. And five years from now, it could get ugly, you know, but yeah, the turf is going to kill him. Yeah, basically, basically. And even though offensively, he's been a machine, a 120 rate weight run screen plus at the very least for four or five, six years straight. Um, but, you know, he's 31. I think we've already seen the best of him, you know, and I think he's going to help him in the, in the short term, but long term, especially when their younger guys are going to get started, are going to start getting expensive. That's the sort of contract you look back and, and you're, and you're like, should we have given that out at the time? And my, my answer is no, even though I do think this helps them as a potential playoff team for this season. Yeah, I agree. Um, basically down to a T with that a hundred percent, you know, George Springer, the, the name is great. He's going to be great for probably the next two, three years. You, I mean, I think when you give guys long-term contracts, you pay for the first half of it anyway, you know, you, you're like, I'll take the, you know, the bad three years at the end for the good three years at the beginning. Um, but like, but it basically what it does is it sets a window for you and your window now to win becomes basically the rest of George Springer's prime plus maybe one more year, because like you said, guys are going to get expensive and are you going to be able to afford them all with George Springer's contract on the books? And that's a legit question that I don't know. I, I don't know if they'll be able to. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, Simeon, Simeon's an interesting candidate. Like they, they got a lot of guys, you know, uh, but Bichette is a guy who actually didn't hit as well as I thought he would this season, this past season. Um, but he's like, like Vadi G he's got room to grow. And the fact that he does have room to grow is kind of exciting in terms of how good this offense can be this season, even though it was already decent last year before you added a guy like Springer and before you added a guy like Semyon. So um, I do worry about their defense like Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel are disastrously bad at defense. Um, Vladdy G, as you mentioned, was one of the worst defensive first basemen in the league last year. Uh, the third base situation right now, it's Kevin Biggio, according to Fangraphs, and that's worrying, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, I, wor- I mean, yes, Jansen's an excellent defender, and I think their defense up the middle has improved, but... I mean, especially in the corners, it's kind of disastrous, you know, just, just the defense. Like I know they don't have to play Biggio at second base anymore, but still I, I'm, I'm a little worried about that aspect of their team, but at the same time, I, I do think there's a path to 90 wins here and kind of a hot take, but I don't know. Like, like, what do you think through the prism of their offense? Do you think it can happen? Oh yeah. I mean, like, like I said before, the beauty of the A at least this year is teams two through four, you could totally make a case that they'll be a 90 win team. And I think, you know, the blue Jays uh, just personally for me, I don't think their rotation is good enough. And, you know, if, you know, guys like Nate Pearson pan out and Robbie Ray gets it figured out and Ross Stripling is a, is a good pitcher again for them, then, then they shouldn't really have a problem getting to 90 wins. It's just, I don't know if they'll be able to hit on even two thirds of that. Um, it like I think they could maybe get you know Nate Pearson will be a stud but will Robbie Ray be the Robbie Ray of Arizona or will he be 
you know, what he was his last year in Arizona and then his brief time in Toronto. Um, or will he be some sort of happy medium? And then I don't, I don't know about, um, about Ross Stripling um, playing in the, in the American League East with, you know, all those high powered offenses. Uh, I, I just don't know. Um, a starter, I'm, a starter I'm, that relies a lot on his curveball against a team that features, you know, Judge and Stanton and Sanchez and Voigt and, and Glaber Torres. Then you go to Boston, you got Bogarts and Devers and Martinez and Cordero. And then you go to Tampa Bay and you got Yandy and G-Man Choi. Like, there's a, <laughs> hey, I mean, he's got a power. So you hang him a curveball, he's going to hit it a mile. And then, but, you know, you got, there's a lot of power in the American League East. And a guy who relies a lot on his curveball, I could see there being some real struggles if it's not, you know, 100% sharp. So I think there's definitely a path to 90 wins. And I just don't know. I don't know if they'll reach it this year. And I, I won't be shocked if I'm wrong. I got to say, I think I just heard some East Coast bias right there. You know, it's like <laughs> coming out East, he's not going to be able to handle with the big boy. Well, the NOS no. is pretty good the last couple of years. No, I'm not saying the NOS is bad. I'm just saying, you know, you look at, you look at, you look at, you know, the, the lineups of the, of the Red Sox and the Yankees, especially they have a lot of guys who absolutely hammer the breaking ball. And there's a lot of, especially Yankee stadium, we've got the short porch in right field. Toronto's not necessarily a pitcher friendly ballpark to begin with. And then Fenway, obviously is not really a pitcher friendly ballpark either. So I think he's going to have a serious issue translating to those ballparks versus what, what he got, had in LA when he would get to go play pitch in San Francisco. I know he also had to deal with Colorado and Arizona, but then San Diego is also a pitcher-friendly ballpark. So I don't think he's going to have that same luxury in, in, in the AL East as he did in the NL West. Huh. Interesting little theory. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I guess I just slightly disagree. Um, I like the raw. I think That's Dan fine. Danny Jansen and, and Reese McGuire is actually is a better catcher combo than people give him credit for, especially defensively. Uh, Telez was really good last year offensively, like surprisingly good. Um, considering that he used to be, a, he was once a 30th round pick, like good for him. Rowdy's another one of those really fun players that I've liked to, that I've had a tendency of mentioning during this podcast. Um, yeah. I, I like the blue Jays. I'm a fan. I think they're finished in second place. And that's a bit of a hot take, but I'm okay with it. Um, yeah, finally, let's let's get to the Yankees. Uh, last year they finished thirty-three and twenty-seven, one game ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays. By the way, incredible. Yeah, that's nice. Incredible nuts. stuff. Um, the Yankees <laughs> got really unlucky last year with injuries, but that might just be who they are. So this team actually has some more question marks, even in the lineup, than I expected them. Even though they're obviously the most talented team in the division. Um, because I just look at Judge and I look at Stanton and I'm like, these bros can't stay healthy. I know they break. They're incredibly talented. When they're on the field, they're the two best power hitters in the league. But, like, they can't stay on the field. Neither of them have been, have been able to stay on the field now for two years straight. And what about this year makes us think that – is there anything about this year that makes us think otherwise? You know? So, um, but before I dive into them too, too much uh, – their, way, their team way run screen plus last year was fourth, despite all those injuries. Their defensive war as a team was 16th, and their team fit was 12th, despite all the injuries as well. They lost James Paxton, Tommy Canley, Jonathan Holder, Adam Adovino, Jay Happ, Masahiro Tanaka, and Matt Duffy. They lost a lot. Of, they lost 
a pretty decent amount of pitchers, actually. Um, not all of them are great, but they lost some pretty decent arms. Um, to those guys that they added, James and Tyon, Corey Kluber, Jay Bruce, Justin Wilson, who I really nice underrated move, Darren O'Day, Robinson Chirinos, Derek Dietrich, Huli Shasin. That was just a, a fun little shout out. Kyle Baraclaw and Nick Goody. <laughs> I threw those in there just to keep you on your toes. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I don't know. I, I This team's got some question marks. I, I don't think they're suing for 100 wins. I, they're more closer to 90 than they are to 100, to be totally honest with you. But let's break it down a little yeah. bit. What kind of jumps yeah, out to at, you when it comes to their lineup? I mean, obviously, you know, I think first and foremost, just disregarding the health altogether, what kind of player is Clint Frazier for a full 162? He got announced uh, on – well, today, so on Wednesday – Really? Yeah. You bring him. Yeah, I'm, interested, he, you, I'm interested that you brought him up because, like, he's one of the guys that I, uh, that I worry about the least, honestly. Um, I just look at how he's been over the course of his career, and it's been a lot of hot starts followed by, you know, spotty playing time, or, you know, he would play himself out of the lineup at some in some stretches. And then last year, that didn't happen. He was really good from start to finish, defensively improved, offensively, he was great. Will he be that for a full, you know, I mean, I say full 162, but for him, it'll probably be like 135, 140. Will he be that great? <clears throat> I don't know. Um, it, he and Gary Sanchez, to me, are two guys that I have my eyes on the most. Because I think when they're healthy, Judge and Stanton, they're going to they're gonna do what they do. They're going to rake. And I think it's almost, it's almost like kind of a cop-out to say, that, well, how's the health going to be? Because they're always hurt. So I think when I look at performance and guys that stay on the field, I I know Gary's had some issues with his injuries, but not to the same degree as Stanton and Judge. Him and Frazier for a full, you know, 120 plus games. I'm curious to see how they do. This is a make or break year for Gary Sanchez. A lot of people, myself included, are still on the bandwagon. that He's a good catcher. He's not a catcher, but he's a good hitter. And he hasn't shown that in recent years. And he's really still kind of holding on to the, dominance of 2016 and i think he's i still think he's a good a good hitting catcher and this is kind of a make or break here for him he's still hit frazier yeah he still hit 10 11 home runs last year sanchez that is even despite yeah. the fact that he hit like 150 and his way to runs created plus was like at a minuscule low uh he's he was he still hit like 10 home. so like my point is is that like he has shown signs and has even had stretches over the last two or three seasons where you're like, this guy's the best hitting catcher in the league by far. And then there's all all these stretches where he's just awful. And last year he was just plainly like plainly put, he was awful. And he's also had injury issues. Like he's had this whole saga. And then really this year is when is he? He's 28 years old already. This year is kind of the last year for him to prove it. You know, like this is a big prove-it year for Gary Sanchez. Yeah, it is. And, like, I'm looking at his numbers now, and the last three years he's been really all over the place. 90 way to run straight plus 116, then 68. And the injuries were there, 89 games played in 2018, 106 in 2019. Last year he was healthy, played 49 out of the 60. But then lost his starting job to Kyle Higashioka, of all people, um, which is pretty bad, to say the least. Um 
I'm again, I'm, I'm holding out hope for him that he'll, he'll be, he'll be able to bounce back. He's a good bounce back candidate. Um, killed me in the wins of overplacement fantasy league I played in last year. Cause he was awful. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's really make or break for him. And I'm curious to see how he does. I think he'll, he'll put, he'll hit, he'll hit for power. He'll hit 30 home runs if he's healthy. Um, that's, that's kind of a no brainer, but how will he do with the plate appearances that he's not hitting the ball 450 feet? That's the question. When I look at this Yankees line, there's not a lot of guys where I'm like, that guy can get better this year. There's definitely a, 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 a room for him to improve because I look at the lineup and it's a lot of regression candidates and it's a lot of guys who I just don't think can stay healthy at all. Like judge, like Stan and even Hicks to a degree. Hicks has had injury issues. Um, Urshela, I think he is what he is, right? He's a 115, the 120 way he runs created plus guy who plays awesome defense at third base, which is really strange to say because his name is because it's Gio Urshela, but I think that's just who he is at this point. So I, I don't, he's the one guy in this lineup who I don't really think is a regression or a progression candidate. He's just, he is who he is. Um, mm-hmm. Voight last year had the season of, have had the two months of the best two months of his life in terms of playing baseball. I don't think he's that good. Um, LeMahieu, is he a 170 Wade runs grade plus guy? I highly doubt it. No, no. Despite his no, awesome swing and he's a really good player. I think he's a 130 Wade runs grade plus guy. I think he's an all-star, a perennial all-star. But is he one of the be- like one of the 20 best players in the league? I don't think so. At no, the end of the day, no. right? Personally, and he's very valuable have. in the playoffs. But I guess the the only guy in this lineup I look at then who I think can be, can, can get better than what he was last season is Glaber Torres. And yeah. Glaber Torres, who forgot how to hit a home run last year, seemed like he figured it out in the playoffs and was really snake bitten by the shortened season. Um, if the season had gone on for, you know, the regular five months, then we're looking at Glaber Torres as a guy who probably would have had the same awesome numbers that he did the year before. But, you know, got off to a slow start and all of a sudden the playoffs started. So, I look at him as a guy who can definitely bounce back and play better next year, but I don't know. I look at the rest of the lineup and I have enough reason for concern, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I don't necessarily think like judge guys like judge and Stanton will regress. It's just a matter of how many games they end up playing overall. It's the injury thing, you know? Yeah. I think Aaron Hicks is one of the most underrated players in baseball, but again, can he stay healthy? Like the, the, the problem with the Yankees and we're only focusing on the lineup. There's a ton of injury concerns, on in their rotation as well because oh, they're gonna get you know, to that. Kluber, yeah. yeah we'll get to we'll get to it but like i agree with you 100 glaber is 24 now and he's been kind of just the same guy every year i know last year <clears throat> started slow kind of picked it up as the season went along but he hasn't really had that like explosion exploding type of season you know 121 wrc plus his rookie year hit and it was 124 his second year so like i the analytics he, don't love him no, they and don't. I'm not, and I'm not a, I don't, it's probably because he doesn't walk enough and he's a lot better at home than he is away, than he is away from Yankee stadium. But I don't know. The eye test loves him. Well, you yeah, watch I mean, him play. You're player. like superstar. You're just oh yeah. He's a good player. Say superstar, but like, he's definitely a good player. It's just, you know, you, you'd like to see him have a year where he just kind of puts it all together. And I know defensively, he's probably always going to be you know something of a mess yeah. no matter where he's playing, I but agree. offensively, 
I think I, I'm not putting, I'm like, it's not going to be a make or break here. He's got plenty of team control. He's still a good player. So it's not like he's really, you know, in bomb, like a bust category, but like, I think this could be a year where he puts up roughly 140 weight to straight plus. I think he's going to be really good this year for them. I think actually we're, we're going to witness Glaber kind of ascend and DJ not plummet, but he will definitely descend and he will be below Glaber Torres on the pecking order for the Yankees best hitters list. Um, by the time of the season's over, that's my that's my hot take. I know he was just an MVP finalist, I, I believe, in twenty in twenty twenty. But DJ LeMahieu, I think he's probably only got two, maybe three more, you know, good to great offensive years left in him. I think that was a terrible contract they signed him to. Hmm. I'm even at the AAV, that was solid. Yeah, what was the what were the terms on that deal again? I'm I'm blanking. It was like I I think it was something like six years and ninety million. So from a, from a standpoint of Ooh. average annual value, it's good. Fifteen million a year for DJ Mayu, pretty solid. But six years, that's a lot for you know a dude who has really only had three great years of his MLB career. Granted, you're only two years having him on the roster were two of them. So. I, I think just, he's a I, different I player that he's a much different player than he was in Colorado. He's putting a lot more loft on the ball. He's getting under yeah. the ball a lot more. Um, he's actually using his legs on the swing. Unlike before you, when he was just a singles hitter, um, you know, he's the Yankees have tinkered with his mechanics to the point where he's just a lot different than he was in Colorado. So I, I I'm not saying like, if we're talking about like his Hall of Fame case, of course, we're going to put in the Colorado stuff. But if we're talking about like G.J. LeMahieu, the player right now, he's very different than the guy who was in Colorado. But like at the same time, is he 170 weight runs created, created plus good? No, it's hard to say anyone can be that good consistently without actually being at least somewhat skeptical. So, yeah, without except for like Trout and Juan Soto, <laughs> yeah, I think those are the only two guys that you can kind of be like, yeah, like that. Chalk them in for 170 and, you know, let it, let it ride. <laughs> and their bench is really bad. Um, it is. Right now as it stands <laughs> for on fan graphs, uh, granted, this does not forget, this does not include the forgotten man, Miguel Andujar. <laughs> he is the forgotten man. Oh, my man. Lord. I, we, I, I feel bad for Miguel. Uh, this guy was a rookie of the year candidate once upon a time. Um Right now, their bench is Kyle Higashioka, who can't hit the ball out of the infield. Tyler Wade, who was an awful hitter last season. Jay Bruce, who's an, who just signed an NRI contract and hasn't been good since 2017. And Mike Tuckman, who was surprisingly good two years ago and then fell right back down to earth last season. So, ooh, it's just an oof. They're bent there. So the depth that used to be there may not be there like it has as it's been in, in recent seasons combine that with the injury problems that they've already had with a lot of their key players you got to be nervous if you're a yankees fan i think a little bit at least so um yeah there's definitely cause for concern bench, like yeah there's definitely cause okay. for concern i think jay bruce and Derek dietrich play really well at yankee stadium obviously with the short porch they're both notorious fly ball hitters so they'll be good ish for them like they're not going to be you know studs by any means their bench is not good to like really at all i like talkman a good amount um but yeah i agree their their depth isn't as strong as it has been in years past do you want to look at do you want to be depressed a little bit here for a second sure um jay bruce's jay bruce uh here's jay bruce's wars the last since 2018 
So 2018 was 0.0. 0. 2019 between two teams was 0. 0.6. And then last year was negative 0. 0.1. He's been a bad player for three years straight. And yeah. uh, it's kind of sad. This guy was really good at one point. He had a four yeah, he was. for the Reds in 20, 2013. Um, yeah, remember, remember, like every deadline, everyone wanted Jay Bruce because he's a lefty bat, hits a lot of home runs, and he lofts it a ton. Like he, like he's the kind of guy that you want in a situation where you need to get a fly ball. Like that was the guy you wanted. So like the like the Indians traded for him, I believe it was twenty seventeen. I know the Mets traded for him like thirty two times. Um, they're just he's a guy that a lot of teams really like, and it's kind of it's kind of a shame that he's kind of fallen off the way he has. But I think. He's like a perfect, um, he's like a perfect kind of bounce back bench, you know, pinch hit type role, like almost like a Matt Stairs to this point in his career. Wow, wow, you're you're right, still still riding on the Jay Bruce bandwagon. Well, it's mostly because of the short porch. That's fair, that is fair, but I I, I don't know, man. It's I think it's he, how old is he right now? He's thirty three years old. He's not too old, but like. I, don't know, I feel like the best we've already seen the best of Jay Bruce, you know, and um, I mean, I mean, that was, all, that was always going to be obvious anyway, but like, is he a major league player anymore? I feel like that's a very fair conversation to be having at this point when it comes to him. Um, yeah, not, that's why I put him in the much. Matt stairs category. <laughs> Matt stairs category. Um, I think shapes. that's, I, I think it's time to move on to the rotation. Um, their ace is Garrett Cole. I don't think we can, t- we don't think there's much of a need to talk about him too much. Uh, wasn't quite as good as good last season as he was with, in, as he was in Houston, but he was so good in the playoffs that who cares? Um, then the rest of the rotation gets really weird and interesting. Um, Corey Kluber right now is the number two starter according to the fan graphs. He pitched an inning last year. Jameson Tyon did not pitch winning at all last year. He's the number three starter at the moment. Jordan Montgomery's number four. And when he's healthy, he's a solid number four, number five starter. And then there's Domingo Herman, who retired last year and then unretired last year and did not pitch an inning for the New York Yankees last season while also nursing an injury, I believe. Uh, what is going on right now with this rotation? It is, this is a wild group of, group of characters. Yeah, their rotation, it's like it, – it, Honestly, you know, they have Garrett Cole and he's healthy. So they're in a better position than the Red Sox are with Chris Sale, but their rotations are very similar. And I think at full health, they're probably better because Kluber is his ceiling is so much higher um, and tie on same deal, but like, they're just as, you know, injury riddled as the Red Sox rotation is. I think and more so. Probably, I mean, hey, probably more so. Yeah. Cause I mean, honestly, like, I think, yeah, honestly, because like, if you look at the amount of innings Tyon and Kluber pitched in the last two years, it doesn't add up to more than 40, I believe, or something just over like 40 or 60, or it, it, it doesn't add up even near to a hundred. And that's between two guys over two whole seasons. And yeah, like, their, their injuries are ridiculous. It's, it's like, how can you trust on these guys at all when they haven't pitched? I am. I'm, I'm like, Honestly, I'm almost talking myself out of the Yankees right now. But it's how can you trust these either of these guys at all, even though they do have top of the rotation talent um, at all when it when, when they just haven't pitched at like at like to any like remote to to any like reasonable degree in the last two seasons, not just last year, you know. So yeah. I, it's it 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 worries me if I'm a Yankees fan. 
Yeah, it definitely is definitely concerning. I think Kluber is less of a risk than a lot of people are leading on. I know last year's shoulder injury was is pretty bad. You know, like when when it occurs, it's re- actually relatively rare. When I like looked it up because I was curious what the injury exactly was, but like I saw like in recent years, a lot of guys are getting it, which is weird. But I think you know the injury in 2019, he took a line drive off the elbow, like that. I mean, that kind of stuff. Like he, he can't get out of the way of it. Fair. You know, it's really so. There's, I don't think there's going to be any issues with his elbow. It's more about the shoulder and how that'll hold up. But if he looks healthy, and he apparently did in his workout, and the Yankees were willing to give him 11 million, I would like to think that he is going to be fine. Obviously, I'm putting a lot of faith in their, you know, strength and conditioning and their medical staff, which does not have, does not have a good track record in recent years. Everyone seems to spend 50 or so games injured, so. Um, but I think they'll, he'll be okay. You know, tie on, you know, the Tommy John surgery, things at two of them in his, in his baseball career. Um, so that's, that's, you know, worrisome. And then obviously Montgomery had injury problems and then Domingo Herman had injuries. And so does Luis Severino. I don't even know if he's going to pitch when he's going to pitch this year. So when uh, he comes back, yeah, he's got he the does. injury history too. And he's a stud too. Like, I mean, him and Garrett Cole at full health, like, you know, those are, that's probably one of the best one, two punches in the league. But the thing is Severino can't get himself on the field. Yeah. And Herman's a nutcase and it's, it's, they're relying on a lot of guys who just have no track record of staying on the field for one reason or another. And mostly because of injury. Um, Like Tyon's super talented and the last full season, healthy season he had was he was quite good. Um, but again, he hasn't pitched really at all in two years and look at him. We got to have even Montgomery got hurt recently. Like, I don't know. I, I, I have major questions with this rotation. So they're really, so I think inevitably they're going to have to rely a lot on guys like Clark Schmidt and Davey Garcia. Garcia is talented, but looked really raw last season. Didn't really look like a major league starter at the moment. Um, you look at a guy in, you look at him and you look at Clark Schmidt, like Schmidt. I was really unimpressed by his stuff last year. I don't know about you. Uh, I, I I'm worried about this team's rotation quite a bit, even though I do think the ceiling of this rotation is quite high. Say Kluber works and Herman it starts is pitching like the guy who in flashes was a really good starter in 2019. Then all of a sudden they have themselves a pretty decent rotation, right? Even if it isn't super deep. But say Cooper gets hurt, say Tyon gets hurt, and all of a sudden they're stuck with these young guys again, and that's not great. And they're going to have to pitch Loisia probably in spot starts more often, go with more bullpen games, even though their bullpen isn't, isn't quite as talented and as deep as it has been years past, even though it's still a pretty good bullpen. Um, it's worrying. And I'm, I, I don't know who's going to be eating innings. Like who's outside of their ace – who in this rotation or even who outside of this rotation do you see as guys who can eat innings as a guy who can definitely eat innings, maybe Loie Siga. And that's about it. Reliably eat innings. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard because when you put the caveat of, you know, reliably, reliably like Kluber, you should be able to trust him to eat innings, but will he be healthy? And the same goes with Tyon. It's like this, this, it's this rotation's like a mansion living room. Like it's such a high ceiling, but the floor is ridiculously lower, like so much lower than the ceiling. And it's like this team, from a pitching standpoint, you know, they could be 
you know, one, 100 to 105 win team, but also, you know, if things don't go their way and in terms of health, they haven't <clears throat> for a while, they could be, you know, second place team in the division. I mean, if they really bought them out, you know, probably third, but the, I still think they're comfortably the division winner when all said and done, they'll find a way yeah. to piece together some victories, but um, their rotation is it's, it's, it's suspect, but the ceiling is so high. It's almost kind of hard to, you know, bet that it'll completely cave in and, you know, maybe one of them, one of them kind of, you know, messes themselves, but then the other one will be, will be fine. Whether it be Kluber or Tyon, I'm not sure, but. Yeah. It's hard. It, and, and again, like they need these guys to be good right off the bat because they don't really have too many alternative options. Like, you know, because in the years past they had security blankets like Tanaka or, or even a guy like Hap, right? And now those guys are gone. So it's it's going to be interesting to see, like, how they kind of bounce back from all this. So, I, I don't know. I look at this team, and I, I, I'm i just asking, like, who's going to reliably eat innings? And I don't really know. Um, but I do yeah, like I their don't... bullpen. Uh, I, I like their bullpen quite a bit. Like, Chapman is an awesome reliever still. He's still awesome. He's still really, really good. Um, numbers weren't quite as good last season, but again, he missed a lot of the year because of COVID. Uh, if you remember, Zach Britton is still awesome. Not quite sure how he does it, but both those guys just keep on churning away and pitching being what, like two of the 10 best relievers in the league. Uh, then there's Chad green. Who's an awesome number is a really good number three reliever. Darren O'Day who hasn't pitched a lot in the last two years, but when he has, he's been really good. They don't need him too, too much, but he's a nice quirky change up sort of guy. Um, it seems like he's been in the league for like my entire life to be totally mm-hmm. honest with you. Uh, then there's Lois Siga who can at least eat innings, Justin Wilson, which is a move that I loved Sessa since he's been a bullpen piece has been really good. Their bullpen's still really good, even though they lost Canely and they lost out of Ottavino. So it, I don't know. They're, they, they don't have, I think their bullpen's still very good, even though it isn't quite as top heavy as it was in years past. It's pretty deep. And it's just really when it comes to their pitchers, it's who can eat innings, right? So yeah, I don't know. we'll see. We'll and there's see. the fatigue factor. Like I've seen, like we've seen in years past, like guys like Chad Green really kind of fall off. You know, as the season wears on, because he's just relied on so much. Sometimes as yeah. an opener, sometimes in high leverage, and you know, um, you know, stressful innings. They put a lot more wear and tear on your shoulder and elbow area, and then you get you get fatigued a little bit easier. Um, so their bullpen is definitely still the strength of their, of their pitching staff. No, no doubt about it. It's the backbone of their, of their pitching staff. And they, they go where the bullpen takes them, especially if their rotation isn't as, you know, as dominant as, as it looks on paper. Um, I, I agree. Their bullpen, their bullpen's still pretty stacked. The, I think they'll miss Ottavino and Canely this year. Obviously Canely is missing 2021 anyway with Tommy John, but they'll miss they'll miss the guys they lost but i think they'll be good enough with their replacements will be good enough to the point where it won't be significant yeah yeah they can always decide to throw garcia in there if they want to like they have options like i don't know i i'm they'll be fine like even a guy like adam warren and nri like what if he works out or bear claw or booty or you know all these yeah. random names that i'm now throwing at the wall um but yeah, that's the Yankees for you. I, I, what I, my description of this team was very negative during this podcast, but I still think they're going to win the division. And 
And I think the reason why is because their offense is too talented. Their bullpen's still really good. And they just need to hit on half of their starters and they can probably get away with it, you know? And I don't think there's, I don't think the Rays, Blue Jays, or Red Sox, although they're solid teams, none of them are quite strong enough or quite top heavy enough to contend consistently with a team like the Yankees. So that's just my opinion. And I think you yeah, the, yeah, the Yankees are definitely the best team in the AL East. I don't think they're a World Series team yet. They need they need help in the rotation, especially. I'm interested, like, what is the World Series team in the AL? Who well, I mean, is like, the World I'm, Series team? Truthfully, I mean, like, they it's it's tough really to to kind of identify one. Like, really, realistically, the Yankees are because every team has such a glaring flaw, in my opinion. And maybe the Yankees maybe the Yankees end up being the AL rep, but I think I, when I say world series team, I just really mean like, I don't think they'll legitimately win one unless they get a very favorable matchup. Oh yeah. The winning, like well, someone has the, to make it winning is yeah, not happening. Winning it. is yes. winning's coming out of the NL West, whether it's the Dodgers or, or the longer shot Padres, like yeah. one of those two teams, if, it, if the Braves, if they get lucky, that's the that I, I see them maybe if they get lucky, but that's the only other team that I think has a chance. Mm-hmm. Like it's those three teams, and then which is really weird because in years past it was like AL dominance, right? And now it's NL dominance, mm-hmm. um, particularly NL West dominance. Yeah, <laughs> and the AL what like you look at the AL like the AL East is probably the strongest division in the American League, even though the AL Central is frisky. Um, the AL Central is pretty frisky. Like the Royals are underrated. Uh, the in oh, I mean, I mean, I don't know why I'm talking about this right now. I'm just gonna go with it. Um, the Royals are underrated, the White Sox got better, the Twins are still talented, even though they can't win in the playoffs. It seems like, um, that might be farcical, that might be true. We'll see. Uh, and then who am I for? I mean, who am I? Heck, the Tigers, the, the, the Indians. Oh, yeah, the Indians, and, you know, they traded away their best, their most their franchise, their franchise player, they, they could st- still, if things go right, make the playoffs because their pitching is that good. Um, mm-hmm. And then you look at the AL West, like no one impresses me in the AL West at all. Like that's a very yeah. stale, boring, bad division. Yeah, my know? hot take on Twitter was that the Mariners will win it. I saw that. That was a hot take. That was a yeah. cheat, hot flaming Cheetos take. I don't, yeah, I don't so know if I can jump on that right away. I need to like dive in on the Mariners and I'll definitely do that once we get to the AL West part of the podcast series. But man, like that would be something if the Bears won the division. That would be an, an amazing end to the 2021 season. And yeah. if the Seattle Mariners clinch it. But like, this is a pretty flawed team for the Yankees if they are right now the favorites to make the World Series, because I think they are in the American League. Right? Should, I mean, I, realistically, they probably should be the favorites from the American League, but unless yeah, they're the, unless, deeply flawed. Yeah, unless you love the White Sox. Yeah, and, and then I look risk because of the I, Rusa thing. So yeah, and I look at the and I look at the teams across the league and like the pitchers on the market that the Yankees might go and try and get. Like, are they going to try and trade for Sonny Gray again? I doubt it. Like, why would they do that? He failed there once. Why try and, you know, bring him back in? Although they have a different pitching coach, so maybe that'll work out differently. They won't trade for James Paxton again. Like, it's just – I'm trying to think of other guys around the league. Are they going to trade for Johnny Cueto? I doubt it. Like, it's just – they have the tools to go and get a lot of different, you know, starting pitchers. Maybe they go – maybe if the Mets falter, you could try and get Syndergaard. I don't know. Like, it's just – there's so many – there's so many teams out there, but then, like, 
I don't know if they necessarily make the Yankees that much more legit as, as in the world series, you know, I don't we, know. we say this every year that the Yankees are going to make a trade for a big, big pitcher and they never do. Mm-hmm. Their, their biggest was Sonny Gray. <laughs> it was just like they signed Garrett Cole and that was really it. Um, yeah. And they just haven't, because they always relied on Severino or they always relied on, you know, Severino be like that kind of guy for them. And they just never worked out because he couldn't stay healthy. And that's just a lot of the, that this team's story is health, right? Up top to mm-hmm. bottom on the roster, honestly. Um, so yeah. And, and it, it's going to be a weird year in the American league East that COVID could really affect it because three teams are very close to each other and the Yankees are the best team, but they're also, they also have a pretty uh, low floor as well. So uh, Jordan, I want to thank you so much for, hopping on and talking about the American league league East. We went way too long talking about the American league East, but that's okay because the whole point of this podcast was to go a deep, 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 deep dive into the American league East to talk about pretty much every single team. Um, Yeah. Pretty much every single team in the division. So, and every single player in the division, I should say. So uh, thanks for hopping on, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you all so much for listening to episode 17 of the Cookie Chronicles podcast. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and spread the word about the show. Until next time, thanks for listening.